I'm Caroline Hyde at Bloomberg's World Headquarters in New York. And I'm Ed Ludlow in San Francisco. This is Bloomberg Technology. Coming up, the man behind Enron's liquidation and now FTX's CEO. He says the prior management of the disgraced crypto empire is the worst he's ever seen. This is lawyers overseeing the FTX bankruptcy say Sam Bankman-Fried's tweeting is hurting their case. Then Cisco's CFO joins us to talk about their earnings beat, supply chain improvements and why the need for job cuts. And we're a week away from the official start of holiday shopping season, Ed. The digital strategy for retailers is more important than ever. Macy's CEO joins exclusively to talk about expectations. But first, but foremost, a check on those markets. Because, well, as borrowing costs rise, it means those most interest rate responsive stocks, they fall. Yes, that is technology. I'm looking at S&P 500 off by three-tenths percent, but the Nasdaq closing off by three-tenths percent as well. Big tech was in the line of fire as we see yields push higher. This is where the main volatility was, the bond market. Once again, the two-year yield pushing up some nine, let's call it 10 basis points on the day. That as we once again hear the narrative coming from the Federal Reserve. We thank Bullard, we thank Daly, we thank some of the other Kashkaris of the world signing more hawkish all over again. We're thinking, of course, of the fact that the market, the economy, in some ways still looks pretty strong. Jobless claims today once again coming in lower than expected, showing that that jobs market is still very resilient. So we hear that pushback against the narrative that maybe the Federal Reserve is for turning. And instead, we look at borrowing costs pushing higher, particularly on the front end. Let's kick it on a gear, because actually, this mood music turning sour was not the case everywhere. In China, money still going into that market, as many anticipate perhaps the unwinding of those COVID policies. Some say now the market is overdone. Just check out this move, Ed. On one month, we have seen a 20% increase in the internet stocks that, of course, tracked by the ETF yeah. Crane shares of China. That's the key ETF that we track here in the US. Clearly, money moving into those sorts of areas still. Yeah, I'm going to look at Alibaba later in the show, but it's hard on a day where particularly technology investors are really focused on the Fed and the outlook for rates to talk about the reason or rhyme between single names. Cisco is really an earnings story, right? Bullish outlook for revenue in the quarter, but they're talking about job cuts even with such a bullish outlook. We're going to speak to the CFO very shortly, and I think that's a key question. Elsewhere, Airbnb out with news that they're bringing new tools to basically expand inventory on the platform, not help 
helping the stock down 5%. Elsewhere, Amazon and Tesla, the biggest drags from a points perspective on the Nasdaq 100. Crypto, 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 crypto. How, you want me to keep going? Crypto. That's the story right now, the contagion. What's interesting, specific tokens kind of starting to stabilize. I look particularly, though, at Solana as an example, right? Solana, very closely tied to the FTX empire. This is a token that was trading at a 40 handle before all this standard started. Now we're down at 13. We've stabilized, but we're not being pulled in either direction. I think everyone right now with this story and FTX's collapse is in wait and see mode because we don't really understand the full extent of what's happening. Vaguely exhausted, emotionally exhausted, physically exhausted from all the tweets that we have to, of course, read. Let's talk about the FTX empire collapse a little bit more, if you can bear it, because FTX's new CEO has been slamming the non-existent oversight, the misuse of client funds, and saying that they're struggling to locate billions of dollars in missing assets. Bloomberg's Katie Greifeld is here with the shock, the awe, when we read, of course, that bankruptcy statement coming. Finally, Katie, what did you make of some of the more sensational parts? Well, it's amazing because this is just day one. This yeah. is the first thing that we've seen uh, from John J. Ray III. And like you highlighted at the top, again, this was the man who helped liquidate Enron, who drove that, saying that this is a complete failure of corporate controls and such a complete abs absence of trustworthy financial information. So really slamming the record keeping that was going on. And what it caught my eye, and I mean, it was just a treasure trove, this sworn declaration. But he also took task to task the concentration of control as well. Uh, it sounds like a lot of it rested with SBF, which is a small handful of people. You combine that with sort of shoddy record keeping, and here you are. A big part of this story, Katie, is looking for things and not knowing where they are. The administrators are looking at FTX's empire, the digital assets that they held on behalf of clients and themselves, and saying, where are they? It's a very pressing question. So far, we know they were able to locate about 740 million worth of cryptocurrency in cold wallets. They also found about $560 million in cash. You add that together, I'm not too good at math, but we're still missing billions of dollars there. And again, like we were saying, the record keeping, it was very half-hearted. It was very messy, again, according to the sworn declaration. So that's a puzzle that needs to be solved. And then you think about how this is actually going to be distributed to the different creditors, of which there are more than a million dollars, and it's quite a process. More questions than answers. We tried to get some answers from our viewers. You out there, you responded to us on Twitter. We love it because we put the polls out to you early in the morning. And we wanted to get a gauge of really what is the most extraordinary part of all of this thus far. Is it the CEO's re new CEO's reaction that you just spelt out for us, Katie? Is it Sam Bankman-Fried himself, the ongoing Twitter narrative, the cryptic tweets? Is it the fact that, of course, he's now facing questioning in the U.S. from a legal perspective? In fact, most people thought it's all crazy. It certainly feels <laughs> all crazy. What other tidbits can you bring us that have just been totally sensational? I mean, it's got to be the tweets, right? The fact that Happened. SPF is just tweeting through it. It's really amazing. You combine that with the DMs, too, that incredible report from Vox. But just focusing on the tweeting, again, FTX's lawyers citing his, quote, incessant and disruptive tweeting while accusing SPF of undermining the bankruptcy case. I mean, I, I, it escapes me another example of something like this.
This one, I think there was potential photographic evidence of him just in a supermarket. In a grocery store, I saw in that. Bahamas. We, no uh, protection. We run in the same Twitter circle. <laughs> late at night, too late <laughs> at night. Katie Greifeld, we thank her for being so on top of this story. We want to get you more, really, perspective here on the ramifications in the entire ecosystem. I'm really pleased and welcome back to the show, Jill Gunter. She is, of course, Chief Strategy Officer at Espresso Systems, a company providing scaling privacy systems for Web3 applications. Jill, great to have your voice on this because you've been someone who helped, well, really put money to work in this space when you're at Slow Ventures now, really building out this ecosystem. How much of a knock has it had across the entirety of not just exchanges, but more broadly? Yeah, I've been fortunate to be in this space in some capacity for the last decade now. As you mentioned, whether that's on the investing side or now on the building side with Espresso Systems. And I have to say, I have never seen a tragedy of this scale. I think it's a tragedy for the retail investors who came into this space and put money to work with SBF and with FTX, and who didn't fully understand what the mission of crypto was about. And I think it's also a tragedy for the crypto industry as a whole, that it's being dragged down by the acts that it seemed to be, at least at this point, uh, fraudulent and criminal on, on the part of uh, just a few actors in the space. FTX is not crypto, it's not representative of the industry, and it's not what the industry was founded to solve. Jill, I've been excited to talk to you because you cover basically the entire ecosystem of what's falling apart here, right? Yes, you're CSO at Espresso, but you also are essentially a venture capitalist. You've invested in other crypto startups. Could you tell Caroline and I what conversations you're having with all your friends? behind the scene, everyone that you know in this history, industry, what are people talking to each other about? I think that the biggest takeaway amongst builders in this space, of which I'm lucky to be one, is that, again, this is not what crypto is about. Crypto is a technology that was founded to bring accountability, openness, transparency to financial systems. It was founded, if you look back at the Bitcoin white paper, which was sort of the advent of the space as a whole, uh, created in 2008 in the wake of the financial crisis that was playing out then. It was created to reduce the, nece the necessity to trust middlemen uh, with your finances and, um, and with your assets. Mm. And unfortunately, I will say that I think crypto as an industry has fallen short in a few capacities one of which is that we have yet to build good enough user experience around the products that we've built that truly do take advantage of the openness, transparency, and accountability that it can offer. And because of that, people have trusted their assets to centralized exchanges like FTX, and they have gotten lost on what the actual core value proposition of the technology is. They've also gotten caught up in the speculative hype around crypto as an asset class while losing track of its value proposition again as a technology. And I think amongst builders in the space, amongst the entrepreneurs out there who've been building, whether it's for six months or six years in this space, there is simultaneously a feeling of despondency mm. that this is 
this is the mainstream view of crypto right now mm -hmm. is that SBF and FTX are somehow representative of it. But there is also a real feeling of galvanization that this is our opportunity and that if anything, this should drive home to people why the core value prop of crypto is actually necessary, why we do want technologies that reduce trust in middlemen and trusted intermediaries that SBF purported to be among. Passionately said, Jill. And there is a lot of passion and there is a lot of anger rising, but there's also a lot of committed capital that's still there in venture. I'm interested as to whether we've heard of perhaps the institutional players who are looking at investing in the actual asset class, perhaps pulling back. But what about those that are building like yourself at the moment? Are you worried about those checks that have been being built up and are ready to be deployed? Are they still being cut for companies such as yours? My sense is yes. My sense is that, you know, there will be, I think, uh, rightly an increase in scrutiny and diligence being done around companies. Uh, I think that the standards will also be raised to ensure that companies are not just building another casino, but instead are building for real utility, real value, and real sustainable revenue and business models that aren't just founded on a pyramid of tokens. Um, and I, I, for one, welcome that. I think many builders in the space welcome that as well. Uh, I think that that level of diligence has been missing for a while. I think that there are many reasons for that. I think that people had the sense over the last decade, really, that there was easy money to be made. Uh, that was a combination of everything from interest rates to, again, a speculative bubble, really, around mm. uh, a nascent right. and poorly understood technology. And I think that that's all been washed out uh, right. from the investor side. And I think that that's a good thing. I think we're just getting this conversation started. More to come. Jill Gunter, Chief Strategy Officer at Espresso Systems. Thank you. Coming up, Cisco beating expectations and raising its full year forecast. But it's also the latest tech company announcing job cuts. More on that next with Cisco's CFO, Scott Heron. And speaking of which, Amazon CEO Andy Jassy shared there will be more role reductions, but that they do not know yet exactly how many roles will be impacted. Bloomberg reported earlier this week that Amazon would cut as many as 10,000 staff as soon as this week focused on the devices, business, retail and HR. This is Bloomberg Technology. hardest part for me as somebody being on the organization side of layoffs is that you know that people's lives are at stake and if you are an empathetic person which I for better or worse am you can't help but think about the impact that this is going to have on the people who have a job one day and not the next day. This is Camilla Boyer she had the misfortune of working at three companies in the space of nine months that did layoffs. While there is definitely not a good way of firing people there is absolutely a bad way. There's three really important things to bear in mind. First of all, don't fire a mass number of people over Zoom or over email. 
don't diminish their contributions to the company. Make sure you're showing gratitude for the time and effort and love in lots of cases that people have put into their jobs at that company. It's much harder to trust a leader who isn't capable of owning their own fallibility than it is to trust one who will own up to their mistakes and be willing to kind of take that on board and move forward. Accountability, empathy, closure. It's really important to treat the people who are being laid off with that respect, giving the people impacted a chance to say goodbye, treating them in that human way and not just cutting them off from every system right away goes a long way towards the experience of both the people who are leaving and the people who are remaining in terms of that ability to move on. That was Quick Takes, Alex Webb and Checkout.com's Camilla Boyer. And tech layoffs are in the air. Bloomberg TV also spoke to Airbnb's Brian Chesky earlier. Here's what he had to say about job cuts. Two and a half years ago, we lost 80% of our business. We laid off 25% of our employees. And I said at that time that we are going to be now prepared for anything to come, any storm. And so we stayed really disciplined for the last two and a half years, anticipating difficult times ahead. And we said, no matter what happens in the economy, we do not want to have to change how we run the company. And that's only possible if we stay lean and we stay disciplined. And we only have about 6,000 employees. So like, we're really lean. Begin the year, we were only planning to hire 7% more people than the year before. When many other tech companies that weren't growing even as fast as us, were going to hire 20, 30% more people. So because of that, and because of the strength of our business, we are not stepping on the brakes. In fact, we're stepping on the gas. We are still hiring. We're not freezing. We're not cutting. We're growing. That was Airbnb CEO Brian Chesky. And speaking of tech layoffs, Cisco closed 4.7% higher on Thursday after giving an upbeat quarterly revenue forecast and, like many other tech companies right now, unveiling a plan to cut jobs. CFO Scott Heron joins us now for more. Scott, let's push this forward, right? Bullish outlook for the last three months of this year, but at the same time, you're acknowledging a changing macro picture. You're preparing for the worse. How do you balance that? Yeah, Ed, I, in our case, I think it's a little bit different. And first of all, thanks for having me uh, on the call. It's great to see you both again. I'm a big fan. Uh, I should start there. Uh, we had a great first quarter. Uh, it was record high uh, re quarterly revenues for us, uh, earnings per share and revenues above the high end of our guidance range. And it's really on the back of a lot of hard work we've been doing over the last 18 months to build a recurring revenue model and to manage the supply chain issues. So the performance is actually quite good of the company. We did announce a small restructuring today, and it's really about two things. And I think it's a bit different than the way perhaps you've heard from other companies. Ours is really about rebalancing. Uh, the number of headcount we had at the beginning of the year, we estimate we're going to have the same number of heads at the end of the year. What we're doing is trying to marshal more resources and focus more into a couple of key areas, which of course means we have to come down in some other areas. So we're, we're focusing more on platforms and cloud-delivered capabilities within our networking business and in security. Our goal through internal placement, by the way, is to place as many of those who are displaced on the low end of that into some of the open jobs on the, on the other end. So this is not a cost-motivated, uh, a cost-savings-motivated restructuring for us. 
Talk to us, therefore, about security, about cloud, Scott. Are they the two areas that a corporate, a government agency, a client of yours cannot do without? Why the bullishness into this deteriorating outlook? Yeah, I, I think it's a couple of things. It, it, it's a great question. And one of them I just talked about, we are more than 40% of our revenues now are, are recurring, right? And so we've built up more than $30 billion of remaining performance obligations. You hear the phrase RPO, right? That's sales we, that we've transacted that haven't yet shown up in our revenue stream. So we've, we, we start each quarter with a nice recurring revenue base. We also, through the last year, uh, because of some of the supply concerns, have built up a significant order backlog. When you put those two together, and you know, demand is what demand is. We had the second highest Q1 in terms of product orders that we've had in our history, second only to Q1 a year ago. Uh, and so we continue to see good demand. We've got a, a base of recurring revenue, and we've got a backlog. So we have great visibility into the next several quarters. Traditionally, Cisco is viewed as this sort of legacy tech name. Not so exciting, Scott, if you don't mind me saying. You know, that's the sell side's kind of take on Cisco. But you are trying to do something new, move into services, recurring revenue, be more in everyone's face every day. How's that going? It's going great. Uh, you know, it, it's one of the reasons that I think you, you hear the bullish outlook from us in a time when there's a fair amount of uncertainty. 43% um, of our revenues, uh, I'll say it again, 43% of our revenues are, are coming from recurring revenue models. Um, that is subscriptions, it's SaaS, it's some of the, the recurring revenue models attached to some of the hardware that we ship out. And frankly, as I said, we've built up a, a pretty large order backlog trapped in there is another $2 billion worth of recur worth of software revenue trapped in that backlog. So um, I, I think it's gone well. Yeah. There's room for us to, to accelerate that even further. Let's talk about what analysts are saying. I, I like the way Ed sort of paraphrases it, but Citi is keeping you on a sell, and Citigroup is saying they're worried about the order growth remaining negative, down 14%. What do you say to that? I, I, I say what I said earlier, Caroline. It's, it, it, it was down in the mm. first quarter on a year-on-year -year basis by 14% compared to a Q1 last year that was mm. up 34%, right? And so it's hard to the, – the, the, the compare point is actually mm. part of why j just the arithmetic gives you that. I think the better way to look at it then is what's happening sequentially, right? When you can't – when you've got a, an, an anomaly quarter that we're comparing to – and by the way – our fourth quarter of last year, our first and second quarter, both had greater than, all three had greater than 30% growth. So in each case, the arithmetic is gonna to look tough. I think the better way to gauge what's really happening in terms of customer, customer demand is, okay, how do the sequentials compare to what you've seen historically? And from that standpoint, it was pretty much in line, slightly below, but pretty much in line what we'd seen as a historical range going from, it was our fourth quarter, by the way, yeah to our first quarter that we just announced. So the sequentials look fine. And as I said, it was the second highest Q1 in terms of product orders we've had in the history of the company. And to be fair, Citigroup doesn't say it's difficult year on year comps. We thank you for spelling that out for us, yeah. Cisco CFO. Scott Heron, great to have some time with you. Keep on watching, we appreciate it. Meanwhile, coming up, what's new in the VC world? We'll get the latest global headlines, that's next. And before we head to break, a softer tone 
apparently coming from one Elon Musk. According to people familiar with the matter, Musk is now attempting to retain Twitter staffers by actually softening his remote work mandate. This comes as apparently fewer workers are opting in to the next chapter of Twitter. This is Bloomberg. Let's take a look at the top headlines from the world of venture capital. VC giant Tiger Global is raising $6 billion for its next fund and looking to Morgan Stanley's wealth management arm for help, according to sources. The fund will invest in startups across the enterprise space and tech in India. And staying in that side of the world, over in Singapore, iGlobe Partners is raising $200 million for a new fund that will back deep tech. It's the fifth fund for the VC, which is mostly led by women. iGlobe was founded in Silicon Valley before moving to Singapore in 2009 and invests in startups with deep scientific backgrounds. And finally, members of Dubai and Abu Dhabi's royal families are joining forces with other investors to back London-based AI startup, the Applied AI Company. That's according to sources. AAIco develops AI products for government, healthcare and insurance sectors. Caroline. Great global perspective. Meanwhile, coming up, some of my conversation with the CEO of Macy's about its digital strategy. We want to be focusing in on whether investing and indeed whether you're still going to brick some water and whether you're still wanting to splash the cash into the holiday season. From New York, from San Francisco, this is Bloomberg. Back to Bloomberg Technology. I'm Caroline Hyde in New York, and Bloomberg's Ed Ludlow is with me in San Francisco. And Ed, well, let's get a China take, a giant story and a giant soaring today. Yeah, I'm looking at Alibaba, the e-commerce giant in China. It's interesting, the stock up almost 8%, right? But it posted a surprise loss. And in fact, the loss it posted was the same dollar amount that analysts thought it would record in profit. It's all about COVID zero policy, which is impacting consumer demand in China on the e-commerce side, also about disruptions to supply chain. But they're seeing past that, you know, the stock trading at its highest level in six weeks or so. I thought that was really interesting as we're kind of zeroing in now on the retail space, on e-commerce, but then looking to other opportunities for Alibaba Sticking with retail, Macy's, really interesting. Biggest jump in the stock for Macy's since May. The stock trading at its highest level since June. Strong performance. For me, looking across the Bloomberg turmoil, there's kind of two sides to the story. The e-commerce side of the business kind of trading back towards pre-pandemic 2019 levels. But you look at the role technology played, Caro, in how they manage inventories. Mm. This is a smart company and actually... So many different names faring so differently in this space. I think this is one to watch as we head into the holiday season. Think about the consumer. Think about retail. Stock rising. Keep an eye on its debt as well as it gets an upgrade from S&P. And in fact, Ed, I managed to get a catch up with Macy's CEO, Chairman Jeff Gannett. It's an exclusive conversation all about digital strategy ahead of the holiday season. 
When you looked at our digital business back in 2019, it was about 25% of our overall omni-channel business. During the pandemic, it was 40%. We started the year expecting it was going to be like 37. It's coming out at about 33. So 33% versus a pre-pandemic year of 25. So still very robust growth. So even though our business was down to 21 in digital in the third quarter, it was up 35% to 2019. So I think this evolution of the customer omnichannel journey and more of those transactions being in digital, that's going to continue. But there is a new baseline that is being established in 22 versus where we were in 20 and 21 when customers didn't feel as comfortable going to brick and mortar locations to buy. So what about therefore Cyber Monday, for example, the predictions there? Is that something you lean into? Yes. Like as an example, we're looking very carefully at how much of our digital business was being done in late October and the first three weeks of November last year? How much of that do we believe is going to shift to Thanksgiving and Cyber Monday, Cyber Week? Uh, we do expect a, deep, a higher spike there. We do expect the usual Christmas lull that goes after the, of that, that first week of December. We go into a lull of two weeks, and then it comes raging back more to brick-and-mortar traffic uh, the last 10 days before Christmas. And therefore, your investment... This is a time where maybe companies are pulling back in terms of investing. Are you still yes. looking to be committing money to digital? Is it more about smaller yes. format stores, off mall opportunities? How do you ascribe the money you are going to spend? Yeah, one of the things I think is, uh, if I look at a kind of the Macy's strategy pre and post pandemic, I think one of the things I'm proud of is really what we're doing with our financial strength. And you look at our balance sheet. And really, when you think about our capital allocation, and the first order of business and capital allocation is investing in the business. So to your question, we're deeply committed to ensuring that our, we're, we're top-notch in digital, that we've got a modernized supply chain that can accommodate that, that our stores are in great shape, that we're investing in our team of people, of colleagues, um, and that's serving us well. So we have not stepped back from that. So we're spending about a billion two in our CapEx budget in 2020, uh, 2022. And that's been about our average is about the 1 billion range. You can expect us to spend that in future years because you know retail is about investment and we've got to make sure that we're ready for the customer however they're going to change. In digital, technology, supply chain are, are places that have given us a good return on that investment. Macy's CEO, Jeff Gannett there. Now for more on online retail environment that we're currently within, we want to bring in Rachel Tenbrink. She's general partner and co-founder of Red Bike Capital, which invests in early stage growth startups in fintech in e-commerce marketplaces. Rachel, it is great to have you here in the studio with us. And a lot of that, the focus of Macy's, a lot of what they're doing well is their inventory. But how is the buildup in other companies' inventory going to affect us from an e-commerce perspective as well? Thank you for having me. I think what's going on is that the retailers had such a bad experience last year where they were so understocked, they were so desperate. So on the one hand, it was good because they didn't have to discount. Whatever was there was what the consumer was buying. There was nothing left. The flip side of that is that this year they've bought sort of preemptively and deeper levels of stock. And what you're seeing is the consumer is feeling the pinch of inflation. Mm -hmm. So they're out looking for deals, they're out looking for sales, and the retailers can't risk being stuck with loads of inventory after the holidays. Rachel, good to see you. Uh, you said they're preempt. You talked about preempting inventories. 
Didn't Amazon also kind of preempt the entire season with an additional prime window? Absolutely. You're seeing that overall. Sales are happening earlier and earlier than ever before. As you said, Amazon started their Prime Day in October, which had never been done before. You're also seeing Walmart doing digital deals. They're doing digital deals every Monday of November and offering early access to their Walmart Plus um, sort of prime comparison um, connection. So what you're seeing is consumers are starting to buy earlier. And you're seeing that e-commerce brands that started those deals earlier are faring okay, the ones that started sort of Veterans Day, you know, a couple of weeks ago, whereas the ones that are just starting now, they're off to a slow start. Rachel, what's interesting is with Macy's, where they see the difference is perhaps sales falling at the overall Macy's brand, but sales climbing at the more luxurious end, at Bloomingdale's, at Blue Mercury. How are you going to see the different income brackets impact different e-commerce players here? So I think that the question, it applies to all brackets in that everybody's making trade-offs in what things they're going to spend in and what things they're not. Mm. I think that when you're looking at the lower end, the lower bracket, they're going to go for that accessible luxury, but they might look for an item that's under $100. So maybe it's a luxury lipstick, maybe it's a luxury, you know, small accessory. So the, the lower end is going to strive to sort of do fewer, nicer but accessible luxury. I think at the upper, upper end, you always have a certain uh, segment of population that isn't affected, right, mm -hmm. by price increases, that isn't truly feeling the pinch of inflation. So you see things like LVMH continue to fare very well. Rachel, you've had a pretty storied career at some of the giants of consumer goods, retail, but you're now investing on the sort of startup end of the curve when it comes to e-commerce. Is there an opportunity here? Lots of layoffs from the big tech names, people looking to invest in technologies that make them more nimble. What is the e-commerce landscape outside of an Amazon? So it's an interesting time in venture because um, it's a tough time in venture and particularly for consumer and particularly for consumer tech. So what you're seeing is a lot of consumer DTC brands are being very judicious with their spend not only because they're concerned about the consumer and worried about that this might be a more tapered holiday season, but number two, they're trying to extend their runway. They know that they need to show strong numbers to their investors. They need to show a positive CAC to LTV ratio. And so they're being really thoughtful about how much paid spend they're using, thinking about how they can acquire customers more cost effectively, what channels to use, et cetera. We were all having a bit of a laugh today about Tresemme's ad on YouTube about <laughs> going into the metaverse and it looked deeply awkward and uncomfortable for this, <laughs> for this uh, fake virtual person, model to be waltzing herself down some sort of catwalk. Overall, what are the innovations being made to make us want to shop in a more exciting, different way, but that actually is making us purchase, not having a giggle? I think part of it is, yeah, I think there's a shift right now in that we've all been sort of trapped at home for so long. And even the, sh the people that are permanently shifting to shop, to work from home, are starting to look, think about uh, shopping as entertainment. And so I think you will continue to see 
more uh, retail concepts, more shopping as an experience. I was just reading about Starbucks taking over three floors of the, of the Empire State Building as just somewhere interesting to go and shop for your coffee. So I think you're gonna see more innovation in retail spaces becoming more engaging, more uh, integrating technology to make it more interesting. Um, I do think that retailer uh, brands will continue to experiment mm. and whether the metaverse as it stands today is going to truly pan out, I think brands will continue to experiment because that's what attracts new consumers. We want to thank Rachel so much, Rachel Tembrink, general partner and co-founder of Red Bike Capital. Check her out. Meanwhile, coming up, how regulatory priorities are changing in the wake of the FTX blow-up. So much more on this debacle. This is Bloomberg. Let's talk about it again because it is creating a headache for most, if not all, of crypto right now. Let's get right to Bloomberg's Shanani Basak, as well as Ether Capital CEO Brian Mossov. And Ether Capital, of course, holding about $53 million in Ether tokens, half of which are staked. And Shanani, I want you to take the first question here. Yeah, thank you so much, Caroline. And Brian, thank you for joining us because obviously a lot of questions around what happens to the crypto universe from here. There's a lot of logic here about DeFi really coming out on top here, but I'm wondering where does that logic hold and where does it break down? I think there's no question that in the long term, we need both worlds. We need easy access points for uh, consumers, retail investors, institutions who aren't comfortable holding the assets themselves or playing around in DeFi. But I think some people have lost the narrative along the years uh, who've decided to just trust these centralized entities, whether they were um, regulated or not regulated here in the US or in a foreign jurisdiction. And so people are going to go out, they're going to do more research, they're going to hold these firms more accountable, they're going to demand more transparency, and there's going to be access points. But there's certainly pain in the short term as the industry you know, figures out how to go through this turmoil and, and build itself back in, in a much better way. As always, unfortunately, retail often get hurt by this. But what's been so extraordinary about the FTX debacle is how many very wealthy, very sophisticated investors have also been duped. How is institutional investing appetite right now in this space? I think it's pretty safe to say it's, it's either pens down or people are going to take a pause on writing checks. They're going to decide to vet the teams, the, whoever they're going to invest in, decide if it's appropriate. I think maybe institutions are going to start to look towards holding tokens instead of investing in the picks and shovels. I've been saying for years that there isn't likely a universe where the centralized entity does really well, but Bitcoin and Ether fail. But there is a world where the centralized entity who's you know, trying to insert agency or rent extraction uh, in between this technology that's all about peer-to-peer -peer transactions. That's what it's all about, is not trusting some central authority. Um, but some institutions aren't able to hold it because maybe mm. there's a mandate internally uh, where they, they're not allowed to hold the assets direct. And so the way to play the space has been to invest in companies. 
And maybe they're going to shift their attention back towards the blue chips. Bitcoin, Ether, take a long view. Uh, the opportunity around staking is very appealing because you can generate yield off holding that asset. Mm. So I think that there's going to be a recalibration that happens here. Talk to us about the staking and the yield farming and in that respect, the, the tainted element of that, because many would just say, look, it was too good to be true. And thus it was. Well, we always have to separate that the failure here is not crypto itself. Bitcoin is fine. Ethereum is fine. The price may be blemished, but this is just bad actors, poor governance, uh, central authority. This happens in traditional finance all the time. Mm -hmm. um, and there's, by the way, there's, there's no regulation that can prevent what happened. You can put up maybe better bumpers, better guardrails, but if you had bad actors internally at the C-suite you know, level and, and bad management and, and lack of oversight, someone who's nefariously intentionally trying to do something, it's going to happen regardless of what paper they signed and what they filed in a certain jurisdiction. Mm -hmm. Do I think we can get better? 100%. In terms of staking, you know, people, again, if they go and they hold the token direct, they go and they buy some Ether, you know, that's what we've done at Ether Capital, the opportunity to generate 4 to 6% while holding your asset and securing the network, validating transactions. But 4 to 6% you can get on a treasury now. Sure. Like. <laughs> but, but they're different things because people aren't buying Ether and staking it because they're trying to capture just this 4 to 6% yield. These are people who are long the technology. Mm -hmm. They believe in a credibly neutral uh, protocol that's going to uh, confirm a number of activities, whether it's DeFi, NFTs, Metaverse, stablecoin movement, and they're saying, while I have this low time preference on the asset, why wouldn't I want four to six percent? You know, right. yes, it is denominated in, in that token, but it's a it's an attractive opportunity. Four to six percent. You've actually seen yields jump meaningfully higher. And as a banking reporter here for a long time, there's no free lunch. <laughs> Ten percent is very hard to sustain. Higher than that, twenty percent can be very hard to sustain. How sustainable are these surges in yields? And do you get concerned when you look at a curve pool, for example, and see imbalances starting to form? So first of all, the yield has never gone to 10 to 20%. The yield is a calculation based on how many other participants on the network are staking their asset, how many transactions are taking place on the network at any given time, and they're, they're paying a small transaction fee to have whatever their activity is validated inside of a block. So the yield's going to bounce around. Um, whether they stay up at 6% or drop to 2%, I don't know. I would say, though, that staking, different than going into DeFi, different into lending uh, platforms, whether they're centralized or on-chain, offer the, the lowest risk rate you can get. It's not completely risk-free, but it's effectively a bond with the protocol, uh, and that's as, as safe as you can basically get, other than just holding the ETH and looking away. How do you feel, for example, let's talk about actors in the space for a minute. You have the FTX hacker who emerged with a large stack of ether. When somebody is amassing ether at that kind of a rate and you don't know who it is, what are the concerns behind that? I mean, the concerns are you have a company that filed for Chapter 11 just hours before that, and how was that authorized? Who had access to the internal controls to allow a wallet to move hundreds of millions of dollars out of the exchange? I think DeFi did its thing. If you stayed up on Friday night, uh, I think it was Friday night, like, like me, because it was wild to watch in real time on Twitter uh, the entire community following those assets as they were trying to be moved through various protocols and swapped into different assets, different funds. Uh, people still don't know necessarily who it is, but DeFi had that transparency. 
in time, we'll hopefully find out who that was. Um, it's very difficult to hide in this space. And again, when they try and touch some uh, centralized exchange to cash out, whether it's now or in the future, between on-chain analytics and KYC that's been put in place, they will be brought to justice. Understanding that the space is going to be volatile for a while longer, what is the risk to the downside here? The risk to the downside is that retail investors and institutions that were just warming up to the asset class have been spooked. They're not sure what a credible access point is going to be. Uh, certainly FTX was one of the most trusted brands in the space. Uh, SBF was uh, a face who was often seen in the media talking about crypto, talking about regulation. And so people are going to go back uh, to the drawing board, do their homework and decide again, do they want exposure? Do they believe in the technology long term? What's an appropriate access point? Do mm. they have uh, some transparency on how they do custody, that the customer funds are segregated? And so again, the industry will emerge better because of this, but there is potentially a lot of downside still to come as whoever does, uh, whoever does need liquidity in the short term tries to sell their assets. Bumpy right ahead, but I'm liking going long homework. Ether Capital CEO Brian Mosoff, we thank him. Bloomberg Shanali Basak, we always thank her. Meanwhile, coming up, we bring you what's going viral. It's Jimmy Fallon versus Elon Musk and it's Taylor Swift versus Ticketmaster. This is Bloomberg. I don't know if you guys saw this, but for the last 24 hours, uh, RIP Jimmy Fallon has been trending on Twitter. <laughs> yeah. Even worse, uh, when they heard I died, Ticketmaster kicked me out of line for Taylor Swift tickets. And I go, oh, this is terrible. This is awful. was the opening of The Tonight Show with Jimmy Fallon after the hashtag RIP Jimmy Fallon was trending on Twitter. Fallon asked Elon Musk to address the false tweets, of course. Musk replied, wait a second. How do we know you're not an alien body snatcher pretending to be Jimmy? Say something that only really Jimmy would say, ha-ha. Now, Twitter is, of course, putting up safeguards to flag tweets with misinformation, but we laugh, Ed, 
we find it perhaps amusing, but this is something bigger. This is something that isn't amusing. This is someone not being able to control the narrative about themselves. This is about corporates that now we don't understand whether they're really blue check or not some sort of imposter. This is about looking towards November the 29th when that new payable subscription service does get right. un unfolded at Twitter and whether it really works. None of it works, and a chat show host had to come out and prove his own mortality as a consequence. I'm looking at Taylor Swift. Taylor Swift is taking down Ticketmaster, so to speak, and she's not alone. Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and Senator Amy Klobuchar are calling for Ticketmaster and parent Live Nation to be broken up after Taylor Swift fans face technical difficulties, right, trying to obtain tickets for Swift's latest tour. Breaking news, by the way, Ticketmaster has now cancelled plans to sell those tickets to the general public this Friday. I'm afraid the Swifties just going to have to shake it off. What I don't understand <laughs> is, like, whose fault is this, right? You have the lawmakers on Capitol Hill saying, this is about the platform, we're going to have to break it up. You have the fans saying, we just want to buy tickets, insatiable appetite. You have Swift saying, I'm the problem, it's me. This is chaos, and it's got everyone talking. The big picture, Caro, is I don't have a ticket, and I'm not going. You're not going. Do you want to go, Ed? That is the key question. Were you one of the ones who were amid the flood of billions of people trying to be accessing it all at exactly the same time? The fact that Live Nation is trying to blame just the ultimate popularity of Taylor Swift rather than their own systems. Yeah, look, I, I like the new album. Snow on the beach, not sure what that's about, but it's chaos. And what I read, one stat real quick, almost 3.5 billion, not million, billion people trying to access the site or hits to get tickets. It's chaos. It's chaos. Do you like the new album, Ed? No comment. No comment. He's got some. He's got big thoughts. Take them to Twitter, Ed. Take them to Twitter because we're on Twitter, and that does it for this edition of Bloomberg Technology Friday. Right on the studio, of course, we have Griner CEO to talk about his first months on the job, how the online dating industry is emerging post-pandemic. But go check us out on social media. This is Bloomberg. When you hear with Echo's digital stethoscope technology for the first time. Ooh, wow. You experience how a stethoscope was truly meant to sound. This season, save $50 off all stethoscopes, plus free engraving and a custom fit case for after the holidays. Wow. Shop now at ekohealth.com. When you hear with Echo's digital stethoscope technology for the first time. Ooh, wow. You experience how a stethoscope was truly meant to sound. This season, save $50 off all stethoscopes, plus free engraving and a custom fit case for after the holidays. Wow. Shop now at ekohealth.com. This is the FCB Podcast Network. Yeah. 
Hello, everybody. This is Ashley Evans, and I'm here today on the Power of Our Dollar podcast. Um, This is a series where we are highlighting entrepreneurship in the Northeast Ohio area. And I'm sorry, I should say minority uh, entrepreneurship in the Northeast Ohio area. Um, And so today we are talking with Nicole Miller. Nicole Miller is an author and a publicist. um, And she's here to tell us about her world. So hi, Nicole. How are you? I'm good. How are you, Ashley? I'm wonderful. Thank you so much. So, Nicole, tell us about the work that you do in your business and how you got started. Sure. So I'm an author. So my writing name is Nicole D. Miller, and I specialize in curating stories that depict Black characters intertwined with spirituality. And I released my book, uh, Stories for the Urban Soul, last year. And it's a compilation of short stories. It tells you 10 different stories that are relatable, uh, life-changing. They deal with topics of social injustices and heartbreak and parenting and friendship, but infusing spirituality. So faith-based, hopeful, encouraging, kind of like a chicken soup for the soul for Black people. So I have really enjoyed uh, writing in the fiction uh, area. So I'm working on my first novel, which should drop this year. So the unique thing is that I'm self-published. I've self-published all of my books. I have two books about heartbreak that are available on uh, Amazon as well. And then I'm moving into the reign of helping other people publish. So I published a client last year or actually this year, and I'm uh, launching my book publishing company called NDM Publishing LLC. And then I offer one-on-one coaching editing services that you can uh, register for my website. Wonderful. That is wonderful. So um, I do think we are in an era where um, writing is something that folks are been encouraged to do and are willing to do to tell the stories of uh, Black folks specifically and the things that they've worked through and overcome. So um, what is it that led you to this place to decide that you were going to be a writer and um, move into publishing? Yeah, it's so interesting because I started off blogging. I still blog every week, but I started off blogging and there was one particular blog post that I published called How to Overcome Heartbreak recovering from misguided love. And it was just my personal story of healing from a really tough breakup. So many people uh, reached out, they commented, it resonated with them. And I knew God was leading me to publish my first book. So I published my first book in 2014 with the same title, How to Overcome Heartbreak, Recovering from Misguided Love. And then felt led to republish a second book, How to Overcome Heartbreak Stories That Heal, where I interviewed seven other women and four other men share more of my story. But then I took a break from writing and then I did uh, do some workshops. We have so many opportunities in Cleveland. Uh, Literary Cleveland has been a godsend for me uh, with offering, you know, virtual workshops, free workshops to cultivate my craft of writing because my background's in business. So I also have a bookkeeping business company. 
Um, but I did take a break after taking some of those workshops. I dealt with some grief and trauma. And during that time, I could not read anything heavy. So I'm an avid reader. I love uh, reading nonfiction and things that are going to help me grow and heal and elevate me as a person. But during that time, I couldn't do anything heavy. So I started reading fiction. And as I was reading fiction, it just stirred up this desire for me to write fiction. So during the pandemic, when I had more downtime, I picked up some of those short stories that I started during the workshops, which was years ago. And I just churned out stories for the urban soul. And then at the same time, I started writing my novel and just got done with another creative writing uh, fiction workshop Literary Cleveland offered. So it's just been on the ground boots running since Urban Stories got published. But it was like a step-by-step -step process. I started blogging. The blog led to a 60-page book, which led to another book. Then I took a break. Then I did these workshops and the pandemic gave me more time to kind of revisit that passion for writing. And, and now I'm like full throttle. Okay, wonderful. Um, the pandemic has has revealed, I think, a lot of things to different folks in different different ways. So that's great that you were able to utilize um, what most people would say is was a very stressful time at minimum um, to really uh, be productive and find spaces to flourish. Um, so, yeah, you, you mentioned you have a, a business background. Can you talk about your educational background, um, uh, other things that you may have accomplished before you got here? Yeah, so basically I have my undergrad in marketing and my MBA in accounting. So my focus was the nine to five. Uh, that's what they tell you in our culture, like get you a nine to five, get you some benefits, make sure you're stable and secure. That was my mindset. But what I was finding was that even with my educational credentials, the doors still of opportunities still weren't opening for me. So in the company that I was in, even though I had gotten my advanced degree, I still couldn't find elevation and promotion. So I had to look outside of that in order to get additional experience. So I started doing taxes, which I also do that for my, um, my entrepreneurial business, ABN Bookkeeping. And I got more experience outside of my uh, company at the time until they laid me off. So they had a series of layoffs back in 2015 and I lost my position. And that was probably my third experience being unemployed. I had a few bouts of unemployment in my career. So, but that also gave me more space to write. So even though I was underworked in that position, that's where my first two books were birthed out of that time of, you know, not having the challenge that I needed in my full-time career. And then, um, probably in 2018 is when I stepped out on faith and opened up ABN bookkeeping to where I did bookkeeping myself for my clients. And I still do that. And I do taxes for them as well. So it's interesting because a lot of people don't function left brain, right brain. So the left brain is like the administrative type, the business type, 
they kind of, you know, stay there. And then the right brain is the creative type and the artistic type where they stay there. But for me, it's both. So I do both. It's been a joy to do both, but it really has been a step-by-step process of diving into a full-time career in writing and still kind of juggling the business part, which has helped me in creating um, my publishing company and offering one-on-one coaching. I also have an ebook out there to help other people self-publish. It's called Self-Publishing 101, Everything You Need to Know from One Author to Another. So now my focus is not just me publishing myself, but it's to help other people publish. And I know that's where the business part is coming in as well. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So that's good. Um, a part of what I hear is something that um, <laughs> I do have a conversation with my dad, particularly. Um, <clears throat> it was like I have an MBA as well, um, and uh, there was another uh, more popular person that in the city that we know that also has an MBA but decided to DJ. And my dad in this conversation, this was some years ago, would say to me, um, you know, he spent all that money to get that degree and not even using it. And I was like, dad, what do you mean? And I was like, there's definitely a real business aspect to being able to promote yourself and um, formulate and bring in money and revenue by doing something that you love. And um, I kind of had to have that question, ask that question to him, like, when you get a business degree or your MBA, where are you supposed to go? What are you supposed to do with that? Is it only uh, working for um, somebody else? And so that's a conversation in some various ways we've had to have several times um, over the years, especially with I don't remember that time. At that time, I don't think I had my MBA yet. Um, but um, yeah, especially with the conversations about how education relates to employment um, or success, quote unquote, relates to uh, typical employment um, instead of trying to build um, for ourselves and on our own. Um, so that's, that's definitely something that I see, um, I think generationally and maybe even communally that, you know, sometimes there is that tug of war about, you know, well, what should I do with the education and the things, the skills that I've acquired? Um, you know, is it, is it for me or is it for somebody else? I think is what I, I think about sometimes. Um, so with that, just um, talk some more too, if you could, about um, your purpose and how it connects to the greater community as well. Yeah, and I do want to touch on that too with the degree thing, because I think our mindset used to be you need a degree to secure this nine to five stability, uh, insurance benefits. Um, But now these new school kids, this new generation, some of them are bypassing that and just diving straight into entrepreneurship. And I'm very encouraged by that to just see how they're 
you know, pursuing their purpose. Um, but you mentioned purpose. So it's so interesting for you to ask me that before, because before Urban Stories came out, I really struggled with my purpose. Like I really was crying out to God, like, what am I here for? Like, what, what was I made to do? And in writing, I have found so much of my purpose because I'm able to transpire real life events and put them into words and stories that touch people's hearts. So even when um, this Black Lives Matter movement, which has been going on, but we're just not being heard, but you know, when all of those things were popping off, just being able to write through poetry, I do poetry as well. And I have a poem in my book called For George, um, being able to release the grief and turmoil from that, being able to create a story that depicts a young Black male who's gunned down by the police and all of those things. And even just my personal uh, grief and losing my mom and being able to pour into my emotions into my writing and get that out and heal. So part of my purpose is definitely healing through writing. And I know that that's seen in the first two books, How to Overcome Heartbreak, because it's reaching people who are dealing with emotional trauma and pain uh, for breakups, romantic relationships, um, not even just dating, but also marriage and divorce. And so I know that I'm gifted with helping people to take those steps forward in their purpose, to have hope, to have faith, regardless of trauma, regardless of setbacks and challenges, and to help heal and grow from those experiences. And right now that is manifesting through my writing. That definitely is encouraging to me when I myself didn't see my purpose, but having written this book and now moving forward with the novel, it's really cool to see like, oh, this is how I'm supposed to impact my environment. This is how I can help reach other people in my community. And I think also just having that space to tell Black stories, like for so long, we didn't really have an ear and it feels like now we have an ear and an opportunity to share our culture. People want to learn more about our culture. So I love being able to express our music, our language, our fashion in my writing, and that is well received in any culture. So yeah, that's totally amazing. Um, I currently run a book club called We in Revolution. And um, it sprung out of 2020 after George Floyd. And um, my personal feeling that um, we need to be able to share stories, um, to cultivate understanding and empathy. Um, We also need to be able to have a space where we begin to really think about and ingest what we want and how we imagine our world as we go forward with um, creating um, policy structures. We briefly beforehand talked about kind of understanding the world that we live in and the structures that we're in. So when we you know, are using our voice, deciding what it is that we collectively want. So anyway, the point of me saying that is to say to you 
um, your book, Snails and Flag A, would be a wonderful addition um, to our list. And you're always welcome to um, join us. We meet on the third Sundays um, of every month and um, we read contemporary authors to um, our, our traditional literature, um, you know, James Baldwin and, and folks like that. Mm-hmm. So um, we did have a local author that um, presented her book at one time. And I think at this point, um, she was the most well-received book that we've had so far. It was, it was an amazing, amazing discussion. And she was able to join us for that discussion. So um, I will be sure to add you to that. Um, so the last question I have for you is about your support structure. Mm. Um, so definitely, you know, different from going to our nine to fives every day, being an entrepreneur, um, you have to have different levels of support, uh, create support, different levels of friendship. Um, so talk about that. Where do you find your support? Where do you find your um, your your person when it's not all going that that well? And I appreciate that question. Anyone who knows me knows I'm big on community. So first and foremost, I have my spiritual community. It's more of like a family. It's not like a typical church structure. So. The pastors that I've had, they're more like parents. We've been doing life together for over 15 years now, and they're there when I need them. Um, I had a foot injury last year that I was really struggling with, and because I live alone, I couldn't drive. I couldn't do anything for myself, but people were coming over here, folding my clothes, doing my laundry, mopping my floors, like this is the tribe that I have that I'm so grateful for. Now, when it comes to the writing and the business part of launching my uh, self-publishing company, I'm involved in a few different groups. I have a group called Akron Summit Scribes. They meet virtually. They just met yesterday and they specialize in offering writers resources and accountability with getting their book projects off the ground. One of the ladies who's a founder there, her husband works for a TV company that I was able to do my first television interview with, like just amazing mentorship and connections. Um, They hold you accountable, like I said. There's another online group I'm a part of called Permission to Write with Ashley Coleman. She just released her book. She's a pretty big platform, but she specializes in opening opportunities, doors of opportunity in the writing community for Black writers, specifically Black female writers. Like I said, the workshops at Lit Cleveland, they have a residency I just applied for. So you definitely have to be plugged into your crafts community, uh, specifically your crafts community, but also your community that feeds your mentally emotionally and spiritually so I've been so blessed to have that I have my sisters who are um grinding just like I am building their platforms I mentioned one of them Alicia Ellis doing her thing we're going to be partnering this summer for events I host I'm hosting a women's panel this Sunday there's going to be a few of them one there too we're talking about losing ourselves in relationships So I I definitely have a lot of people around me who are mission-minded, purpose-driven, and focused on manifesting uh, purpose and transforming their community. So I'm really blessed in that way. 
Wonderful, wonderful. Well, at this point, we're going to pretty much wrap up. And I thank you so much, Nicole, for being with me. Um, can you tell everybody how to get in contact with you? Yep. So my website is NicoleDMiller.com. You can also email me NicoleDMiller1983 at gmail.com. You can follow me on Instagram at HTOHB. My publishing company is at Nicole.DMiller. Twitter, Nicole D. Miller, and Facebook.com backslash HCOHB, which stands for How to Overcome Heartbreak. All right. Wonderful. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. This was an awesome, awesome time talking with you. So again, you guys, there we go. Uh, The Dookie Show. So we're all still recording from home. And if you guys are familiar with views, you are familiar with Duke. Um, he couldn't hold on too much longer. But anyway, you guys, thank you so much for tuning in today. This is Ashley Evans with the Power of Our Dollar Podcast. If you want to hear more from me, please feel free uh, to listen to Views with Ashley Evans on all of your podcasting platforms. You can also find me primarily on Instagram at Ashley's Views. That's A S H L E Y S B I E W S. Um, we look forward to more. Thank you again, Nicole. You guys have a wonderful day. This has been a presentation of the FCB Podcast Network, where real talk lives. Visit us online at fcbpodcasts.com. At Jared, we make it easy to find the perfect diamond engagement ring. Today through November 28th, get 20% off storewide on hundreds of styles at prices you'll love. Jared, love brilliantly. Visit jared.com slash radio for details. Some people celebrate the holidays, but you, you dominate the holidays. You deck the halls, the mantle, and anything else that will stand still. You deserve a bold, cold brew that's as festive as you. Topped with creamy cookie butter cold foam, covered in cookie butter crumbles, and perfectly pairable with our new cookie butter donut, Duncan's Cookie Butter Cold Brew is a delicious match for your decked out domination. America runs on Duncan. Present participation may vary, limited time offer, terms apply. When you hear with Echo's digital stethoscope technology for the first time. Ooh, wow. You experience how a stethoscope was truly meant to sound. 
This season, save $50 off all stethoscopes, plus free engraving and a custom-fit case for after the holidays. Wow. Shop now at ekohealth.com. When you hear with Echo's digital stethoscope technology for the first time. Ooh. Wow. You experience how a stethoscope was truly meant to sound. This season, save $50 off all stethoscopes, plus free engraving and custom-fit case. Wow. Shop now at ekohealth.com. Hello, it's that time again. It's Friday, the 11th of November, 2022, and this is episode 81 of the Black News Network. Originally, I wasn't even going to record a podcast. It was like, I've got nothing to say. Have I got writer's block? I think we... Where are we? I think we're... This is... I think we're three podcasts from the end of this current run. We're doing 12. I think this is number 10. I think we've got two more, and then we're checking out until 2023. Uh, We're going to concentrate on all things kitchen roll. That's another story for another time. Anyway, the title of today's episode is... A dose of reality. Hey, let's start up with... I was going to start with Kanye, but I'll come back to that in a moment. I went to see Wakanda Forever, Black Panther 2. I thought it was a good tribute to Chadwick Boseman. I thought it was a really good film. I wasn't a big fan of the first one. People are like, oh, black person doesn't like Black Panther. I didn't. I wasn't that keen on the first one. Uh, I think the problem with the first one was I didn't watch it until a long time after. And the hype had killed it. I mean, they'd hyped it to hell. It did really well, obviously, at the box office. So everybody was banging on about it. But I watched it on a streaming service months later. And, uh, yeah, I enjoyed it. But I didn't enjoy it as much as I enjoyed Wakanda Forever. It's a bit hefty at 2 hours and 21. I think we live in an era where everything's shorter. But I enjoyed it. It's a really good film. I recommend it. Forget Rotten Tomatoes with this 86%. I'd give it 90-95. Give it four popcorn boxes out of five. I really enjoyed Wakanda Forever. It was really good. And uh, yes... I don't know. I'm one of the, anyone that knows me knows I'm not a big film watcher. I can watch probably one film a year <laughs> or two or three. I don't watch many. And I've been to the cinema twice in a month. So I went to see Black Adam, obviously. Uh, and now I've seen Wakanda Forever. So, yes, looks like I'll be being a regular cinema goer at the Ark in 
Great Yarmouth. I'm there every two weeks currently. Anyway, there you go. So that's my little review. I'm not going to give too much of the, the storyline away. Just go and watch the film. I'm not one of these people that go deep into the films and tell you what it's about and the characters and this and that and blah, blah, blah. Go and watch it. There you go. Black News Network, people. The reason it's called A Dose of Reality title of this podcast was 16 years ago I was at university and I was training to be an officer in the National Union of Students, well student union at Leicester de Montfort Uni and we had to go away for training and they were telling us all these things about benefits and stuff, just reading off a piece of paper and I'd ask a question and answer a question and say something. And then a young girl, don't know her surname, her name was Gabrielle, she was from the London School of Economics, and she says she likes these, uh, she likes this, uh, she liked the kind of debate when I said something and added a dose of reality to the situation, which I was quite flattered by, and I've remembered that that uh, complimentary comment 16 years later, I'm still quoting it, so there you go, wherever, wherever young Gabrielle is, she's she, <laughs> she's been... Uh, 16 years ago lord knows where she is now but yeah probably doing a very well-paid job somewhere especially so she graduated from london school of economics anyway a dose of reality let's start with kanye west i don't usually talk about kanye west because i can't stand the man the problem with kanye west this is a narcissistic fool and he's always been a narcissist a narcissistic fool. But the problem we have is, is the community, the black community at large, you worship personalities, you worship celebrity. Even if they're the biggest idiots walking around, you defend them, you analyse them, you talk about them. There's other black people out there that are doing great work in the community and you never talk about them. But you continue to make excuses for the idiot, the village idiot, the narcissistic idiot. And here's the thing. The black community are not powerful, haven't got a powerful platform. I mean, from 2018 to present day, Kanye West has been race-baiting the black community. Remember, he told us that slavery was a choice. And then his final raison d'etre was... Him and Candice Owens smirking into the camera with White Lives Matter on T-shirts. And it turns out the trademark to the term White Lives Matter is owned by two black businessmen. How odd's that? So they're making money out of a race. Good luck to the two gentlemen. Anyway, but then Kanye says, I'm going to go DEFCON 1 on the Jewish community which was 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 taken as a anti-Semitic slur within what two or three days he'd lost deal after deal after deal after deal after deal after deal. Here's the thing Kanye West wasn't cancelled. I hate that term. It's a social media term. You're not cancelled. 
just the Jewish community have a lot of power. I'm not saying they run the world or anything like that, or all these conspiracy theorists and Illuminati and all that kind of nonsense, but they have a powerful platform and community. And lots of Jewish people own lots of big businesses. So they did his legs. They hit the kill switch on his black ass. End of discussion. You talk cash. <laughs> don't write checks. Your ass cannot cash. And Kanye West thought he was God of the world. If Kanye would have just continued to, to run down and belittle the black community, nothing would have happened to the guy. But the minute he went after the Jewish community, they did his legs, hit the kill switch on his ass. That community has more power than the black community. And they proved it. You want to go to war? Make sure your guns are big enough. You took a stick. They had a rocket launcher, mate. End of discussion. Kanye West was not cancelled. That's a social media term. Everybody talks about freedom of speech, freedom of speech, but you forget the next line, which is freedom of expression. And the Jewish community used their freedom of expression to kick his black ass up and down. End of discussion. Can I get a witness? And uh, I'm tired. I'm tired of black celebrities Black creatives, black media, uh, what is it? Unforgotten, unforgiven, whatever it's called. You know, the uh, Channel 4 talk show. I'm tired of black people making excuses for Kanye West. He's a dickhead. Get over it. Simple as that. There There are better people in the cemetery. It's as simple as that. I'm tired of black people going, oh, his mental health is this, he's that, making excuses. You worship and suck on the penis of celebrity. That is your problem. You suck on the penis of celebrity. The guy's just a fool, and I've said it, he's a narcissistic fool. He got what he deserved. Don't write checks, your ass cannot cash. If you can't hear feel and it's as simple as that he run his mouth he thought he was god of the world and then he decided to go after the jewish community and then got taken out quickly end of discussion let that be a lesson to all of you all you can say certain things here's the thing you can run down the black community 24 hours a day 365 days a week and he did so. For the last four years, he has he has criticised, denigrated, demonised the black community and nobody and faced no consequences. Then he thought he'd go after the Jewish community and faced consequences. End of discussion. Any media outlet still going on about Kanye West are just chasing clickbait. It's boring, guys. Nobody cares. As my mum used to say, and as we say in the Caribbean community, if you can't hear, feel. That's Roy Hanley, people. Black News Network. A dose of reality.
There you go. Anyway, tomorrow night, you know where I'll be. Sitting in front of Sky Sports Mix. Cheering on my girl, Natasha Jonas, as she fights for the Super Welterweight. Is it Super Welterweight title? There are three Federation titles on the line. She's facing Marie Decaire. So hopefully she'll win. And hopefully this time next week, I'll be calling Natasha Freebirds. <laughs> there you go. That's a good shot. Anyway, <laughs> moving right along. Uh, yes. The Rise of Black Enterprise. Uh, I'm a bit behind. I have got something like seven months. <laughs> That's that means seven issues of the voice to read. I'm reading the current issue and uh, reading about black enterprise and black businesses and the problems black businesses have getting finance. And it's always been that way. It is amazing that black companies have thrived. And in this current era, I mean, recently, a few weeks ago, you had the Black Business Week, didn't you? You had black business shows in London. <laughs> and what made me laugh was you had people on Facebook uh, posting comments on the page going, we don't need these kind of offence. We have equality. We don't have equality because it is very rare that a black-owned business can go to a bank and get a bank loan. It is so difficult as a black business to get a bank loan. It's all right for the Asian community because they like lend money amongst themselves and they run their own banks and things like that, where the black community have never had that infrastructure. So whether they've borrowed money from friends or whatever, it has been near difficult. I was going to say a swear word then. It is very difficult to get a bank loan if you are a black-owned business. This is why I raised my eyebrow when NatWest was, uh, has hired Alison Hammond in their adverts promoting NatWest. When NatWest, like many other banks, don't lend money to black people. You see black faces in Barclays adverts, you don't lend money to black businesses. <laughs> it's a fantasy. It's a bit, it's a bit, I won't say woke, it's a bit right on. It's a bit, oh, let's have a black face and be on the right side of this. Because you don't lend money to black businesses. And let's talk about help, Google. Remember, I applied for Google. You know, Google Lyft, was it? Anyway, they waited until weeks after uh, the closing date and then replied to me with an email and then shut the email down so you couldn't reply. So there you go. But have you noticed if you go on Google and when they talk about Google promotions, they always have some black person advertising it like Rashford or Ian Wright. And they only deal, they only work with black people who are already successful or people that have built their success and hooked on to them, like KSI or, no offence to these people, Simon Fredericks, the uh, photographer, film producer. You know what I mean? A documentary producer, so to say. So, it is what it is. I'm not criticising those gentlemen, but you know what I mean. So, it is amazing 
currently, I will talk about it probably another time. But uh, yeah, the rise of black businesses and black creatives starting from nothing and building businesses, and they're on the rise, especially in this era of the cost of living. So yeah, that's something that's caught my eye recently. Also, it's uh, 30 years of later, uh, the Jules Holland TV show on BBC. Uh, later averages about uh, 600,000 viewers on, on a good, good, good night. It's the one and only music show on British TV. I'm not talking about Top of the Pops repeats or music competition shows. I'm talking music show. There isn't another music show. We have tried to pitch music shows to TV companies over the years and come up missing. Uh, also, the problem with doing a music show for your startup is the PPL and PRS rates are horrendously high. I don't know if it will stand this time, but we're currently trying to create a show which will be filmed next year. And uh, originally, we, uh, to try and save money, we were, we hit up the, the, the PPL, PRS people and thought, oh, no, we'll hire videos. And uh, because if you pay £100, you can use a video in their archive. So, you know, uh, PRS or VPL, Video Performance Licence, contacted them and they said, I told them the idea and what we wanted to do. And they says, you'll have to go on our site, search for the artist stroke record company, contact the record company directly. It is very mafia-like the way the music industry control, the, the record labels control the music industry. Because all I want to do is promote new acts. Not just new acts, but just do a music show, promote new acts, old acts, whatever. But you still have to deal with the music industry and the old oh, contact us and then we'll let you know. So they'll be quoting all kinds of numbers. <laughs> but here's the thing. We've got little or no budget. So... If we if we do get this project off the ground, which hopefully we will in January, but it won't air till I think April we're planning April next year, so that's like six months away. Then we will have to do a deal with the artists. Any artist that wants to do our show will have to sign will have to sign some kind of contract that will let us use their music. So if they're aligned with a record company, we'll talk with a record company. And we'll talk to the industry, but we're not paying thousands and thousands of pounds because we don't have thousands and thousands of pounds. We're trying to build a platform so people can get promotion. Yes, they'll get royalties from when when it's played and when it's aired and whatever, but we're not going to be held to ransom because the last time we tried to do it, we were quoted for a license, £250,000. If I had £250,000, I think I'd be spending it doing a music show. Really? No. <laughs> so, it's like the Mafia. That's <laughs> all I've got to say on the subject. Anyway, this is Les Roy Hanley, people, and this is episode 81 of the Black News Network.
Yeah, a bit of a brief title tonight. Next week, next Thursday, is it? Next Thursday, the 17th of November, it will be the autumn statement, the budget under any other name. Chancellor Jeremy Hunt will be trying to find lots of saving cuts and tax increases and trying to raise about £55 billion. Uh, so I'm not very sure at this point whether we will be doing a podcast next Friday because what I want to do is I won't be around on Thursday due to work, work commitments and I won't really be around much Friday. So what I want to do is I might... Uh, do episode 82 on Sunday the 20th of November by that time the weekend journalists would be able to have analysed and picked apart the red book and it would give me time to read it as well so at that point we'll be able to tell you what's been cut what you're losing how much more tax you paid under fiscal drag. So the chances are episode 82 of the Black News Network will air on Sunday the 20th of November and not on the 18th of November like we usually air because I need enough time to go through the Red Book So, and how it affects the black community. I'm not going to do a general, oh, it affects this, it's, we're just going to basically look at how it affects the black community. It affects everybody, but we're going to we're going to take out a few parts, look at a few parts, because we've already talked about over the last nine, ten episodes how the community is politically homeless. So remember, we get paid the lowest wages. Most of us do menial jobs. I mean, I'm a cleaner. I'm, I'm, I'm not afraid to say it. This this is what I do for a living, even though I do make money from the Black News Network uh, podcasts. This isn't my main job. I'm a cleaner by profession. So I do menial jobs. I shouldn't say menial. It's a job's a job. I do several jobs. but So, so give you a heads up. We'll probably be airing that podcast either on the 21st of November or the 20th of November. So more likely the 20th, but it might be the 21st of November, the Monday. And then after that, four days later on the 25th of November, we'll have the last of the series. And that will be it for me. That'll be episode 83. So, and that will be it. I don't think I'll be doing another podcast after the 25th of November. I'm not saying we're not coming back, but we're not coming back till 2023. We're going to concentrate on... the. Uh, we're going to do mainly entertainment-based content moving forward for the next few months. So it's the return of the kitchen roll effect. And I should be launching the new Vimeo channel. I've had a Vimeo channel for several years and it has sat dormant on their platform. And we're going to launch it, soft launch it in January. 
and start putting content up. And the reason we're going to use Vimeo and not YouTube is because YouTube are scumbags. Simple as. <laughs> I could have dressed it up, but they're scumbags. And they're racist. I'm sorry, Google, Alphabet, or Alphabet parent company. You're a load of racists. And it's as simple as that. When we first launched the Black News Network uh, two years ago, two years ago, we created a YouTube channel, and every time we put a video up, they'd restrict it. We weren't saying anything inflammatory or untrue or right-wing or left-wing or chicken-wing. Anything with black in, you're restricted. You're restricted. You're restricted. So we're going to use Fimeo. Google can kiss my booty cakes. So there you have it. <laughs> it's as simple as that. So... Here's the thing, moving on, this is the Black News Network, let's hit an ident. And I'm back in the room, I'll just take a gulp of water. Now, the thing that's making me laugh at the minute, it's Richie Sooner. And I've not spoken about this. I'm, what, 22 minutes into this, 22 and a half minutes into this podcast, and we've not talked about Richie Sooner. Here's the thing. I reached out on Twitter to uh, Jeremy Corbyn. For the past couple of weeks, Richie Sunak's been basically, in, in Prime Minister's Question Time, goading the Labour Party by name-checking Jeremy Corbyn. Jeremy Corbyn is an independent MP because he's lost his whip from the Labour Party. But here's the thing. He keeps complaining about it, and nobody, not even the Speaker of the House, is doing anything about it. So, Jeremy, listen up. This is what I'd do. Next Wednesday, when Prime Minister's Question Time's on, you go there, and if Rishi Sunak mentions your name again, walk down those stairs, walk across the floor, and punch him straight in the face. Simple as that. Rishi Sunak is nothing but a childish little bitch. The country's burning, the Tories have been in power 12 years, and they're trying to blame the Prime Minister, Liz Truss, who was in... <laughs> who was in charge for 44 days. They've messed up the economy. They've burned the place down. People are poor. <laughs> the Trussell Trust in the last six months has given out 1.3 million meals in the food banks. They used to give out 1.2 million a year, but they've given out 1.3 million in six months. So this is how bad it is. I walk home from my main job and there's a food place, like a, a church place and it's a ministry and it's called Pathways. And on a Friday, it's a food bank. And as I walk past after my shift, they're all queuing outside for the food bank. And remember, Great Yarmouth is blue, is conservative stroke UKIP. So... You get what you vote for in my book, and I got no. To be honest, I got no sympathy. I've never used the food bank, even though I've been homeless. But going back to Jeremy Corbyn, Jeremy, listen to me. Walk down the steps, 
punch him in the mouth and then say, keep my name out your mouth, you little bitch. <laughs> Simple as that, people. That's very happy. Black News Network. Yeah, I bet James O'Brien wouldn't say that. <laughs> you know I don't play. As it says, a dose of reality, episode 81. As I said, a dose of reality. Jeremy, punch him in the face. Punch him flush in the face. Tell him, stop using my name, you little bitch. (laughs) There you have it. (laughs) I was going to talk about the strikes. I mean, the nurses are going on strike, train drivers and train people gone on strike, the underground's going on strike. We even got the uh, uh, the PCS, the civil servants are going on strike as well. I mean, it's, it's, it's going back to the 70s, the winter of discontent where everybody's on strike. It's like... You can't, who can you blame? Oh, you can't blame somebody who's been in power 44 days. They've been in for 12 years. But here's the thing. I just think the country as a whole is gullible because they've been in 12 years. It's not as if they've been in 44 days or two years or three minutes or whatever. They've been in 12 years. They're going to be in two more years and they've basically messed up the economy. <laughs> Bottom line. I mean, growth's contracting. Remember, they have frozen the personal tax allowances until 2025, is it? And they're going to extend that, I'm hearing. So that means anybody who earns over, say, about 50 grand, they're going to, it's going to get, we're all going to get caught. If you're earning over, if you're earning over 12 and a half thousand, then you're going to get caught in fiscal drag. That's what, that's what they call. That's what they call it. So you'll be paying in real terms. You'll be paying more tax because your allowance, your personal tax allowance, isn't rising. So the more money you earn, because the allowance stays the same, you'll be paying more tax in real terms. It's called fiscal drag. There you go. <laughs> it's the ex-banker in me. So yes, next week. So we're saying. Possibly the 20th or the 21st of November, uh, episode 82 will drop because we're going to do the budget next time. The autumn statement. And I'm basically going to rip it apart, tell you tell you, all, tell you where they're going to steal your money. And here's the thing. This is the final dose of reality. Private Finance Initiative. A few days ago, Stephen Durrell, the pioneer, the creator, the inventor of the private finance initiative. Basically, the private finance initiative was the banks would lend these companies money and then they would lend schools and hospitals money to build the hospital or a school or do up a school or build a new school. And then the school or the hospital or the NHS trust would pay back that money to the PFI companies over 30 years or 60 years or whatever. But here's the thing. When the government rescued the banks, are you with me? Then that money's our money. 
Remember, money from the government. Remember, these PFI companies borrowed the money from the banks, the same banks we we bailed out. So basically, they've taken taxpayers' money to hand to a company to lend schools and hospitals what fundamentally was taxpayers' money. So why didn't the government just build the schools and hospitals directly instead of letting these companies make millions and billions and billions of the taxpayer. There's a there's a place in Wales which is just a a bare bare patch of ground. Nothing's been built on it. But there's a hundred and twenty five year PFI loan on it. So they're still paying for a, <laughs> an empty an empty bit of mud. True story. Stephen Durrell said in an interview that was never aired that he was proud of the private finance initiative. Stephen Durrell is on my list of MPs who I would, or four politicians who I would happily put in a room and then I'd shut the door behind me. And that's all I'm going to say for legal reasons. I hate Stephen Durrell. Like I hate Ian Duncan Smith, the inventor of, you know our new benefit system. <laughs> you know, they wrap it all up and you get one benefit. There you go. So, and you have to wait five weeks for it. You know what I'm saying? So, yeah. I don't like Ian Duncan Smith. And what irritated me on Spotify was they linked his podcast to mine. <laughs> Of all things. There you go. <laughs> yeah. A benefit you get every four four weeks isn't a wage, it's a benefit. There you go. And that's me. We've run out and we've overran by seven seconds, ten seconds, twelve seconds. And I'm back in just over a week. Either it's November the 20th or the 21st. But until then... I'm out. Have a good weekend, people. I will see you in eight days. When you hear with Echo's digital stethoscope technology for the first time. Ooh. Wow. You experience how a stethoscope was truly meant to sound. This season, save $50 off all stethoscopes, plus free engraving and a custom-fit case for after the holidays. Wow. Shop now at ekohealth.com. When you hear with Echo's digital stethoscope technology for the first time. Ooh. Wow. You experience how a stethoscope was truly meant to sound. This season, save $50 off all stethoscopes, plus free engraving and a custom-fit case for after the holidays. Wow! Shop now at ekohealth.com. Audio Jungle.
It is the Riot Podcast, Friday, November 18th. Isaiah, hello, filling in for Nikki. How you doing? I'm doing good this morning. Yeah? You're doing not running grand. on uh, insufficient sleep or anything I like mean, that? I mean, I'm always running on a little bit insufficient sleep, but usually I'm able to power through. Yeah. You got it all all uh, on the up and up. All right. Yeah, I'm feeling feeling pretty solid this morning. Yeah. Cruising along here. It's a Friday, so I'm getting ready to uh to leave. You're it's leaving grand. right after this? Oh, I'm out of here. You don't have other work to do? Yeah, but Nikki's not here. <laughs> so who's out, gonna everybody. stop you? Who's, who's gonna, gonna stop, stop you? me? I'm out of here. Yeah. It's grand. So uh, yeah, happy Friday. Hopefully you guys have big plans for the weekend. It's gonna be great. I can't wait. Yeah. All right, what are your plans for the weekend? I'm going to like a little DJ concert thing tonight. Real exciting. Tomorrow, Ohio State, big game versus yeah. Maryland. Uh-huh. And so I'll go Trap watch game. that somewhere. Trap could game, you could say, right before Michigan. Uh-huh. So I'll go out and watch that somewhere. Other than that, I got the Brownies on Sunday playing Buffalo. Packed weekend. Yeah. Maybe I'll like get brunch be, at some point. I don't know. You're going to be busy. I'm going to be busy per All usual. Right. Well, no wonder you got to get out of here. What about you? Uh, I heard there was a uh, Texas Roadhouse in the equation, perhaps. Oh, a little TR. Yeah. You know we love that. Which always makes for a nice weekend. And maybe get my oil changed. I need to do that. Yeah. I was, I was supposed to do that on Sunday. It's important. Thank you for reminding me. Yeah. Well, and to, I need to air up my back left tire. Oh, You're, my dad's doing it. Oh, he's doing it for you. He's doing it for me. You want to, can you do mine? Mm, I'll have to ask. <laughs> Pencil me in. Pencil me in. All right. Uh, so today during the podcast, we talked about how Frontier Airlines doing a new little special special pass thing. Uh-huh. It may not be as great as it sounds like. Yeah, there's um, a catch. There's always a catch. And so it got me thinking, it's about like an unlimited travel pass, right? Yeah. And so essentially once you get to the, the price point, anything on top of that is just free flights. Yep. If you were able to take a flight anywhere, where are you going? Um, do, you have a, do you have a destination that you'd like to travel to? I would like to. I'd like to do a lot of Europe. Europe, okay. Yeah, You're going it big. would definitely be somewhere in Europe. Okay. Uh, would it be Iceland? Maybe not. Probably not this time of year. Uh, would it be so? Maybe Italy. Italy. Watching White Lotus kind of makes me want to go to Italy. See, for me, I would love to do some out-of-country traveling. I've never went out of the country. Uh-huh. Um, but if I had to pick more, if I had to pick the United States, I think that I would probably go, I don't know, maybe to Florida, maybe to, to Arizona. Uh-huh. But Good at the same choices. time, but if I, had, if I had to go over anywhere, I'd probably be overseas. You could go anywhere and you'd go to Arizona. Yeah, which is where I'm going in March, baby. Wow. I'll see you there. Wow. I will see you there. Enjoy. We also talked about um, some of the most dangerous toys you could get a child for Christmas. Yeah, they they put out this list every year. And uh, I don't know. I don't know what they try th- think they're going to accomplish with it. 
It's just not, it's not scary. Like, it's not like they're banning the toys or anything. Yeah, it's just, just like, these are the toys these. that are, yeah, they try to talk, tell you not to buy them. But if you stop buying everything that could potentially be dangerous to a child, you, you wouldn't be able to anything. buy anything because children make things dangerous. Yeah. It's one of the things about children. Yeah, if I had these same toys that are on this list, they're not actually dangerous. Uh-huh. But they're dangerous when when a four-year-old has it because yeah. everything's a little bit dangerous. You, you can hand them a spoon and yeah. it'd be dangerous. You give anything to a seven-year-old boy yeah, and he's going to find a way to beat people with it. So, I, uh, I, you know, we go through the list, but uh, I don't know if we're buying it. Yeah, we also talked about a little wager. A little World Cup. Yeah, we talked, a, we talked a good bit about that. Yeah, we talked about what we're going to do because Hudson and I, obviously, uh, I'm a big USA guy. Hudson, more Canadian. Mm-hmm. Uh, both of us, are, our teams are in the World Cup. Whoever's team goes farther, the other one, a little punishment. Yeah. Now, we saw a good text uh, from someone who said we should let Nikki come up with a punishment. And not tell us what it is until until one of us has to be punished. What do you think about that? I feel like Nikki's kind of a softy. You don't think she would? She would I don't go think too she would give us? us something hard enough. So maybe we should do that then. Do what? Maybe we should do that. That plan. you're right. That's not a bad plan. Because then it won't be so horrible. You know what? I kind of like that. But if you lose, I want it to be hilarious. Yeah. I I'm still, not confident whatsoever the USA can do it. So. Yeah. I mean, I have no based off of the qualifying, you, the odds are against you. Canada was uh, was dominating. They were head and shoulders above the competition in the uh, World Cup qualifying against the U.S. and Mexico and whatnot. So, yeah. Canada's always good. one of those teams that kind of shrink in the moment, though. With the USA, we always got to step up. Also so okay. shrinks in the moment. Well, I'm okay. We'll be, <laughs> we'll be fine. It'll end up, both of us will probably get knocked out in the same round, and we'll both have to do it. Exactly. Yeah, we did agree on that. That we're, But if, if we do get, lose in the same round, we do have to both get punished. So. Yeah, that's what I'm expecting. That's probably what's going to happen. Yep. So uh, you can text in 8772 Radio U if you have any suggestions for punishments for us. Also, uh, quickly, I just want to let you know that the Radio U Christmas channel is up now. So at radiou.com, the Radio U app, Roku channel, and Alexa Skill, you can now listen to the Radio U Christmas channel. You can experience even more of us because uh, we're, we're both on there and Nikki's on there. Uh, and you can listen to that all the way through Christmas. And if you uh, click or tap on over to the Radio Uriah YouTube channel or Facebook page to our Krispy Kreme mini pie donut food fight, we did that today as well. Uh, that's it. Enjoy the World Cup. Enjoy we'll see you guys later. your weekend and enjoy the rest of the show. We'll catch you next time. We're not sure who behaves worse, the riot or their dogs. I don't even know how to behave like a real human being. The riot. Radio U. Isaiah filling in for Nikki, who's out on her Thanksgiving break until after Thanksgiving. Good morning, Isaiah. Good morning. How are you feeling today? 
I'm feeling good today. Oh, yeah? It's been a good week for me. I felt pretty good every single morning. That's good. That's nice. How are you feeling today? Uh, I feel like I got spit in my mouth. Really shot in the kneecap or something? I feel like somebody punched me in the groin. Yeah, I I kind of imagined as I was going to bed last night that you Uh may not wake up. Yeah. In the bestest of moods. No, I uh, last night the Green Bay Packers lost to the Tennessee Titans. Did the Packers play their best game? No. Did the referees call the best game? No. Uh, does it matter why they lost? No. Did, their season's over. The season is done, and that's not how it's supposed to be when you're a Packers fan. You don't roll into Thanksgiving having your season finished and that's where we are right now yeah if you need any like tips on that uh-huh. as i am well experienced I in so. your season ending very early as a cleveland browns fan ceremoniously yeah it uh if you need any tips on it or any therapy things like that you just let me know and i can point you in the right direction okay how do how have you how do you cope Usually I cope by just like I still watch every game because I'm a I'm a good fan like yeah, that. Of course. But going into the games, and my excitement level is much lower. Yeah, that's how I'm feeling now. Yeah, it's uh, just like it's one of those things where you kind of just have to soak it, accept where you are, and uh it's unfortunate and I'm upset about it, but at the same time, usually by like in a couple more weeks. We'll be like kind of we'll be we'll have a percentage chance of making uh, the playoffs. Yeah. And then you do that fun thing where you calculate who you need to lose. And it's usually like everybody in some crazy scenario. Yeah. That's usually how I end most seasons. A lot of times uh, it involves ties. Yes. Which never happen you in need the NFL. A tie to and happen. Somewhere a tie has to happen. And then like the best team to lose to the worst team, which would never happen. Yeah. And uh, a bunch of stuff like that. And that's usually what I'm banking on every Sunday. Yeah, I, I have to be honest with you. I was checking in on 538 this morning. Were you looking already? The playoff. I bet you were. Chance calculator. But you know what? If Green Bay wins their next two games... All of a sudden, they've got a 25% chance to there still make go. it. And you that's not my, nothing. You're that's in my neck of the woods, buddy. But, I spent a lot of time on 538 yeah. come the end of the season. If you just win out, you, if you can just still win every make game. it. Uh-huh. If you just win the lottery and get struck by lightning, <laughs> you can make the playoffs. You can make the playoffs. Still. Yeah, so that's where we are this morning. But, uh, you know, I don't think it hurts as bad as I thought it would. Going yeah. into last night. Uh, well, your your expectations had already been tempered because you guys had already had a rougher start to the season. season. It wasn't like you were expecting to win last night. But, I mean, actually, coming into that game, you had to have been pretty confident. Yeah. To win. Oh, we were feeling good. I thought you guys were going to win. We were feeling good after uh, Sunday. But, uh, man, that was taken away in a short week quicker than even – we expected so yes. uh that's all right we'll move on we'll have a good day today it's the weekend it's friday uh-huh so uh we're having a we're having a fine old time and uh the pain will go away eventually the riots x-rays just came in and they all got that dog in them radio you uh you much of a energy drink drinker i do like energy drinks how many what, what's the most you've had most energy drinks yeah. I've had? what's your limit i think just one 
That's how you topped out at one? I think I've only ever drank one. You never had like an all-night gaming session or something like that where you uh, where you went a little crazy with it? See, I never, back when I was like playing video games a lot, I didn't really drink energy drinks. I just started drinking them probably in like the past year, I would say. To wake up for the show? To wake up for the show. And then you switch to coffee. And then I switch over to coffee. But I still do energy drinks more so on the weekends. Okay. I want to warn you and anyone who might be an energy drink drinker, you got to watch out. I've got a cautionary tale here of a gamer who his limit, 12. That seems a little over the top. 12 back-to-back energy drinks. Chugged them all in a row? He did. Uh, he goes only by the initials JS. They haven't uh, revealed his official identity. But uh, we have a doctor here, a clinical doctor, who was analyzed, kind of like sharing the case of this, this unique situation where this guy's a gamer, he wanted to impress his friends, and so he went ahead no and drank way. 12 energy drinks in a row, which, so you're thinking in your mind probably like, what, 14 years old? Yeah, I'm thinking like hopefully like a 15-year-old. Yeah, like maybe not even in high school Maybe yet. like 12. Uh-huh. Way wrong. Way off. 36 years old. Oh, no. 36. A grown adult man. And he's What's this dude's name? JS? JS. I want to know his real name. He drank 12 energy drinks back to back because he thought it would impress his friends. In what world would that impress anyone? If maybe I was all of his out, friends are 14 year olds. They might be. Maybe he's hanging out with a bunch of 12 year olds. I don't know. But uh-huh. in no world am I thinking if I chug 12 energy drinks uh-huh. in any way that would be impressive. To my friends or anyone that I know. No, yeah. If I did that, that wouldn't be something I would come in on Monday and be like, you're not going to believe yeah. what I did over the <laughs> That's weekend. That's how you'd be reporting back. I had a crazy weekend on Saturday night, stayed up late with my friends, drank 12 energy drinks in a row. We'd be, Can you believe that? Yeah, and think about how impressed we would be. Everyone would be like, whoa, I yeah. cannot believe that great 12 story. 12 Red Bulls, huh? You you have to be lying because there's no way. There's no way you could possibly yeah. handle the but power of 12 Red Bulls. The truth is there is no way you could possibly do that because here's what happened to this guy. He uh, he started drinking the energy drinks. He says uh, he got a few in uh, and at that point, like he, uh, this is the quote. At first, it felt cold on the way down and... Uh, but he could feel the burn in the back of his throat. That's how you know it's working. Oh, yeah. Right? The energy is kicking in. Uh, but then he started to experience later on discomfort. Uh, and here he says the it felt it started to feel like sores going growing up, sores growing and tearing up his mouth. Yeah, I bet. Yeah. It's usually when you stop. That's right. That's when most people would stop. He's like, well, I started to feel the sores kick in around number eight, but, but I had to finish the final four. But when, you, when you're trying to impress your friends, there's no your 36-year-old friends. Yeah, what in the world? There's no stopping you. At what age do we, do we stop? I mean, this is ridiculous. 36 uh, years old, don't you think you know better? You would think. So uh, eventually, um, 
he started to feel his heart flutter. Uh, you know, you know how like we've been there, right? You yeah. drink like two or three, like whatever you're you get a couple energy drinks or coffees in and you start to feel like that and you're like and most people that is when you that go, little tingle. I know I've had too much. I'm not gonna have any more. But that's not what this guy did. He kept going. Howard the heart flutter. He says, caffeine, it never really had much of an effect on me. But when you drink 12 energy drinks, it starts to. Oh, my gosh. Eventually, he had, an, he had enough pain in his chest and his back that he did decide that he needed to go to the doctor and uh, actually the emergency room. And basically, his, uh, it was found that his pancreas was eating itself. It so what they had to do, he had to get surgery stuff. or what? The uh, stomach pumps? Antibiotics, and they had to, like, monitor him and everything. Oh, and my goodness. And he was goodness. eventually able to make a recovery. I wonder how long it took him before he decided to just take the L and go to the hospital. Yeah. I wonder what that process was like. You felt really cool for, like, 15 minutes, and then you were like, oh, my gosh, I think I have to go to the ER. Yeah. And then you don't feel so cool. It's this weird thing. I don't know what the time frame was, but uh, he waited, you know, I guess he got there in time. That's the good news. But not exactly great news that he went ahead and drank 12 energy drinks. Energy drinks. Not a, not a good idea. I won't recommend that to anybody. I would say if you're trying to impress people, this is not the way to go about it. If you tried to impress me in this way, then I would know that you're kind of uh, just hanging loose a little bit. You know, you're not quite uh, maybe all there. I'm not sure exactly what's going on with you. You're probably going to be unimpressed. A little bit odd. I'm going to be, uh, yeah, if you said I'm going to chug 12 energy drinks and think that's going to impress me, I probably going to think you're weirder more than anything else. Oh, happy uh, Christmas Channel Day. It's up now, RadioU.com and uh, the RadioU app, Roku Channel. You can hear Radio U Christmas like this. This is a new one. Hudson, Nikki, The Riot on Radio U. Isaiah, let's talk about uh, the World Cup. It starts on Sunday. It's Real exciting. World Cup season. Uh, the first game, Ecuador against Qatar. It's crazy that this World Cup has been coming up for, we've known it's in this country for years. I'm still very unconfident about how to say it. Which Qatar? one? Qatar? Qatar. Yeah, it's Qatar. Cutter. 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 Yeah. Definitely Qatar. Quater. Quater. Is it Quater. Like Equator? Yeah. I, don't I believe know. it's Qatar. I'm going to look it up. I'm like 99% sure. Uh, we should have done this ahead of time. But like I said, I've known this is going to Qatar. Qatar. Okay. Now we can move on. Uh, <laughs> you're looking forward to the World Cup? I'm looking so forward to it. Yeah. What is, uh, are, like, are you fully 100% a United States supporter yeah. in the World Cup. Obviously, until they lose. Obviously, in life, in like you support. I the, the am country, of, of the USA. You're a proud patriot. I am a proud American. But that doesn't mean you always have to cheer for America. I mean, I'm going to cheer for the USA until we lose. I'm going to cheer, and then I'll switch allegiances. You think? Where? Okay, in your expert soccer opinion, 
where do you think the United States will wind up uh, being tripped up? How far do you think they'll go? In my expert's opinion on the World Cup, I couldn't even name a player Uh that plays for the USA team. I see that we're in Group B, you know what, and I don't mind it. I see we've got uh, IR Iran in there. We've got Iran. Iran. Uh Why do they have the IR in front? That seems silly. I've not Uh, seen that before. We've got Wales in there. Okay, that's a tough out. Oh, you think so? Yeah. See, Wales, they just don't really intimidate me. They don't. You don't think so? Ah, uh, not really. Just by name brand. I'm not all that, all that intimidated by their little country. All right, if you um, say so. And then we've got England. We've already beaten them before. We can beat them again. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? If anybody has less luck in the World Cup than the United States, it could be England. Yeah, I mean, England, obviously, we, we stood our ground back in the 1800s. We can do it again yeah, today. that's right. That is right. They're ready to take another L from us. Uh I will tell you that this year I'm particularly excited about the World Cup because I have a rooting interest that's more than just picking some small African nation. Uh, I don't know if small, they actually usually have pretty big populations, but more than usually I'll just pick some smaller country, usually from Africa or something, uh, because I'll tell you why. I cheer against the United States. We don't even care about soccer. Here? It, it would do us no good to win. You know, we'd be happy, We don't though. deserve, as a country, to win the World but Cup. But you think about when the women's team was doing really well just a couple of years ago. People yeah. cared about that. Mm, did, did, but that's women's, though. What do you mean? Okay, let me put it this way. If we were good, yeah. if we win, people would care. Yes. But typically, people don't care. Yeah, until we win. If you're from Senegal, you care about the World Cup every time you're in it because that's, you know, it's a much bigger thing to them. It's a bigger thing. What bigger other deal? sporting events do they cheer for? This I is can't their be one. Sure. Ch- what, what other thing is Senegal one of the top 32 countries in the nation at? Well, not a lot of other sports. See, for me, I just feel as if, I mean, I just want the USA to dominate and everything. Just as an yeah. American, I just want us to win everything, be the best. That's just what we are. And so I want us to continue that tradition. Yeah, but the soccer is just not the United States thing, I got to tell not. you. Uh, so, I, so all that said, I would normally pick uh, an African nation and root for them. And I still will be pulling for African nations generally. But I do have to uh, say that I'm rooting for Canada, of course. Even though Canada may care about soccer less than the United States, for all I know, maybe we should be cheering against them. It's not the World Cup of hockey, so we don't really deserve to win. But that doesn't mean I'm going to be rooting for them. So I totally understand your mindset, and I am willing to to wager something with you that Canada will go further than the United States, which isn't even really going that far out on a limb. They dominated them in in. Uh, qualifying but so, usa did or canada did? canada dominated the usa okay okay qualifying. so if we win or if we go farther you say uh then you'll you'll take an l on something yeah we're okay. gonna you uh we're I'll gonna need some on ideas it. on what isaiah and i could wager uh in regards to the world cup with usa and canada so text those in if you've got one eight seven seven two radio you looking forward to the world cup starting on sunday morning <laughs> 
Hudson and Isaiah seem like they know a lot about sports, yet somehow it's Nikki that always gets it right. The Riot Radio U. Oh, I know this isn't going to appeal to you. You, for some reason, are a Cheetos hater. I don't hate Cheetos, but I, my show stance on it is I am not a fan as if you guys are. Yeah, you could have fooled me. I feel like you're a hater. I am not a hater of Cheetos. I like reg- I flaming Hot Cheetos a lot. Okay. So Regular we- Cheetos are just meh. Like okay. If you put them in front of me, I will eat the bag. Yeah. But I just, That's the I'm, problem with Cheetos. I'm never going to pick them, though. You'll eat the whole bag. Yeah, I'm never going to pick That's, them, though. Uh, okay, let me ask you this. You like the flaming Hot Cheetos. Oh, I do. What if you could go ahead and bring the magic of flaming Hot Cheetos into your cooking? I think that I would like that. You think you would do it? I think I, there would be some things that I would put it on, yes. Uh, because I have here the new Cheetos Duster, which is a neat little gadget you can add to your kitchen cupboard, and uh, you can go ahead and you put Cheetos inside it, you press the button, shake it up, uh, it's going to blend all the Cheetos, chop them up, dice them, slice and dice them, so you can use them as like a coating or a sprinkling Ooh. or mixer, mix in uh, four different food creations. Maybe like on some chicken wings or something? Exactly. I uh, like that. They even have offered up Cheetos. This is officially branded. This is an official Cheetos product. And they have offered up some suggestions of how you, of how you could use the Cheetos dust from oh, your Cheetos duster. Oh, a little recipe duster. book? Yeah. Uh, how about Cheeto-coated mozzarella sticks? Cheese on cheese. Oh, you're talking about... Uh... Like the like the things they used to have at Burger King. Oh man, the Mac and Cheetos. Oh, that's right. The gr- one of the greatest appetizers you of all time those? at a fast food place. Yes. So yeah, you could basically recreate that in your own home. Flaming hot turkey legs is another suggestion they that have. Sounds good. That'll spice up your Thanksgiving. Uh, they say Cheetos dusted donuts. What if you added a sprinkle of Cheetos? Uh, to the top of your sweet donut treat. That not not so much for me. That doesn't do it. See, I was talking to you about this the other day. You know some people put flaming hot Cheetos in like their ice cream and stuff. Yeah, that's weird to me. The sweet and spicy. I don't like people that. People like to mix that up. Not me. Um, so this is an idea. Uh, you can actually go ahead and get the Cheetos duster if you'd like starting on November 21st. That's Monday, I believe. It's like a little handheld little little blender. It's basically, uh, would you call it a Nutribullet? Yes. Or like a coffee grinder kind yeah. of? Yeah. Like uh, you probably have this item in you your house. You could do this, but you wouldn't want you I'll tell you what you wouldn't want to do, and that is use your coffee grinder with Cheetos because then either you'd have Cheeto coffee or coffee, Cheeto, whatever you're using mm. the Cheetos for, they are going to mix uh, because those things are tough to clean out effectively. And that's not, I don't think to me that's a good combo, Cheetos and coffee. But I, hey, 
I could be wrong about that because I like both of those things. So. Yeah, I think if uh, this should be a cute little little Christmas gift. If you have like uh, your girlfriend or something, it's one of the one of the many that are like a flaming hot Cheetos fan. There are a yeah. bunch of diehards out there. This is uh, a, a cute gift for them that they could be excited about. Something that you can get them along with the many other things you'll get them and they won't use. This could be added to that list. I'm seeing, I'm not seeing a price, but I am seeing that you got to watch uh, on Amazon starting November 21st is when they'll be for sale. And at CheetosDuster.com is where you can find a bunch of uh, of recipes, even if you don't get the duster, maybe some ways to incorporate Cheetos in your cooking uh, that'll, that are sure to impress. So uh, there you have it. Check it out. Yeah, the Cheetos Duster. It ain't easy being cheesy. You won't hear a show like this anywhere else. And that's probably for the best. The worst of the riot. Radio U. Uh, I want to get your feelings on this. Now, uh, keep in mind, this takes place in the Netherlands. This is not in the United States. Okay. But we have a judge that has blocked a plan. They've ruled that this is not, the plan is not gonna be able to go through. Uh, But the plan was uh, in a Dutch province to scare off wolves by shooting them with paintball guns. And they're ruling in what favor? They're ruling, uh, at least for now, this is not all uh, said and done yet, but the current ruling is that's a no. It's going to be a no. You're not allowed in this Dutch province to ward off wolves with paintball guns. Well, then what do they want them to use? Real guns? You want me to just shoot it? Is that what we want? Yeah. Want I me don't to know. just kill it? Pitchfork. How do you kill a silver bullet? Is that a we- silver yeah. bullet. That's how you kill a witch? No, that's not a witch. That is a witch. No. Yes, it is. That's a stake to the heart and garlic. No, that's a vampire. Well, how do you kill? Then, uh, how then, do you kill a wolf? Yeah, I think you just shoot it with a regular. It's a gun. silver bullet, I think, is that's the werewolf. A, uh, a werewolf? Okay, maybe also. I think that that goes for both. Maybe. I mean, a silver bullet would kill just about anything, though, if you think about it. I would say so. Yeah. So that's I actually we'll count it's that not really well. saying saying much. But Either I think way, it's specifically the only thing that kills a werewolf. You don't want me to use a paintball gun. Like, what do you want me to do to ward off this wolf? Yeah. See that. The, so here's why this is even coming into uh, coming into the courts in the first place in the Netherlands is because the wolves in this one province in the Netherlands uh, have gotten too friendly, uh, as in like. They are just too comfortable around humans. They're too tame, but they're still wolves. They still cause mischief. They're still, you can't have them snooping around, right? Yeah, they're going to steal your dog uh-huh. or your cat. They're That's gonna right. They're going to take them. They might. Or if you have sheep, you definitely don't want wolves around. If you have, I don't know if they the do have sheep and if they have sheep in the I'm sure somebody's got a sheep Somebody there. must. So they were like, well, here's what we'll do. Paintball guns. Yeah. Uh, they they had uh, at their national park, the park rangers were going to start using paintball pellets uh, as a deterrent 
to ward off these wolves. And once that plan was announced, some people were like, no, 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 you can't do this. That doesn't sound right. They challenged it in court. And at the moment, the judge that is ruled says, not for now. See, I think that that's totally fine. You think because, so? Oh, yeah, it for wouldn't sure. Hurt. I mean, it would hurt. It would hurt. Are you gonna? Well, are you gonna provide the wolves with paintball, uh, the masks? They're not getting. They're safe? not getting equipment. I mean, they, you're shooting. It's just body what shots. What if you hit it in the eye? Well, it's just body shots here. That's what we're doing. You got to be accurate. I'm sorry, but at the same time, we got to. There's no other way have to fend ever, them off. Have you ever played paintball? I have. It hurts. Yeah, it but it also good. it doesn't matter how well you aim. It that doesn't say much. Your gun will. Well, you think mean, they'd hook them up with something nice? You know, I always whenever I paintballed, I had to use a crappy gun. Yeah, and, and this is my the government you're the talk- guns. This is the government we're talking about. You think they're going to outfit you think the park would. rangers with like the best? If we're worried about shooting them in with, the eye, with Tipmans, I don't think so. Either way, I think it's even be just Walmart specials out there. Even just like the the sound coming towards them, I think will be enough to scare them away. That's true. I think just the sound would scare them away, and this is a good way to mark them too, because you know if you have like maybe a, a little gremlin wolf that's coming around the lot <laughs> when he's completely covered in pink and blue, like yeah. that's how you know. Like oh my gosh. When you see him coming into the neighborhood, uh-huh. you're like, there he is. There's, there's Roger, like, coming in yet again. If he's colorful enough, then you know the paintballs aren't working, and it's time to switch to some heavier yeah. ammunition. Maybe if one's completely clean, you're like, okay, I'll give him a break here. Right. If you're completely splattered in paint. shoot at his feet. Yeah, if you're completely splattered in paint, we got to turn you back around, buddy. You're not learning your lesson. I'll tell you what, it does sound like it would be kind of amusing to be the park ranger. Oh, you want to shoot dogs with a paintball gun now? When you say it that way. I know, it doesn't sound right, does Uh, it? The only thing Isaiah loves more than the riot is himself. Someone who probably still lives with his mother and hates himself. You're listening to The Riot on Radio U. You're you're quite a traveler, aren't you? Mm-hmm. Uh, you've you've done you've taken a lot of time off. I haven't to, taken to that much time off. Travel and fly around, uh, around weekend the trips. Country. Some short weekend trips. Now, tell, have you flown? Uh, have you wound up? Have you found yourself on Frontier Airlines? I, I have. Yes. How was your experience? You know, I don't really. Uh, I don't discriminate against some of the lower the lower cost ones uh-huh. i'm fine with spirit frontier allegiance they're all equally whatever bad. it is yes they're all just like it feels the same maybe it's a little bit tighter maybe it's not i don't know for me i'm not a big guy i'm not opposed to uh their airlines they're fine with me okay so see if this appeals to you frontier airlines has uh launched something that they call the Go Wild Pass. It is an unlimited flight pass where you can uh, book unlimited flights for 12 months uh, for $599 a year. How does that sound? I saw this last night. My roommate, Andrew, he shows this to me. Uh And he's like, wow, we should get this. Yep. 
And it's, I'm pretty sure today's the last day, right? Uh, I think so. I think they, today's the last day they, you can get it. Although it's an unlimited flight pass, there are limited amounts of the passes that you can make sense that are available to people. So uh, it may or may not still be available right now. If you go look, uh, it might've already sold out. I'm not a hundred percent sure on that, but uh, the go wild pass, it sounds all great, right? Five ninety nine sounds great. Fantastic. Sometimes you could have a round trip flight. You could have a one way flight. That'd be more than that. Yeah. I mean, when I did, I did my flight to Las Vegas this past summer. It was more than that. When I, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm planning a trip to Scottsdale, Arizona, okay, and probably in like March or so. And uh, I just got a text today that we were looking at tickets, and it was four hundred fifty dollars. So that's pretty close to that five ninety nine already, right? In just one trip. So this could pay for itself in one trip. However. Uh, some people are quick to point out one that it's Frontier Airlines. Some people do discriminate and are saying that not all airlines are created equal, and Frontier is worse than even like Southwest, Delta, mm-hmm. uh, JetBlue, and what have you. Uh, other are others are pointing out some of the flaws in the system here. Listen to this. Okay. Uh, Flights are subject to blackout periods, and there are a lot, like, over 50 days, around 50 days of the year are blacked out where you wouldn't be days. able to use it. Okay. That leaves me, like, 315 days, though. Yeah, that's still a lot of flying time. Also, uh, you don't earn miles or, you know, upgrade your status. No, that's fine. That's, but that's whatever. You got to unli- You already... Have unlimited, Even limited flights. Yeah, what else do you need? Uh, it does not include add-ons, so no bags, no seat selection. You're just you're going in there. Stick me wherever you want. Okay, for five hundred ninety-nine dollars, unlimited flights. Stick me wherever you want on the plane. Now here's the big kicker, though. This is the tough one. You can't book flights until the day before departure. No way. Now you see. That is wild. Now you see now why. Now we are running the risk. People huh? may be buying this and then feeling bilked if they realize The day that before? After, yeah, afterwards. Wow. I mean, you are nervous. And that, yeah. And they don't make that uh, particularly clear up, at, up front. You know, like when you're looking at the. The ad for it, when they're telling you 12-month access to unlimited flights, they the don't exactly, before? yeah. Because you got to think, too, they're getting all their regular customers, uh-huh. right? And then their people that have the pass are just the last second add-ons. And so maybe they, that flight didn't fill up. Who were they filling them with? Us hooligans with the 599 yeah. pa- pass. Basically, if you're not buying a ticket, to, if you can't buy a ticket until the day before anyways, those are seats that were probably going to be were, empty They were anyways. going to be empty seats. Yeah. They were so, going to be empty seats. Smart marketing here from Frontier. That is smart. I like your style. But we found respect the whole it. I respect it. Uh, for me personally, I think this is good for you. If you like to take maybe a weekend getaway last minute, and it's not like serious trips. Yeah. Like for my trip to Scottsdale, Arizona, like I have to go. And so I would not use this for that. Yeah, because you're taking a massive gamble. Massive risk to see if there's even a flight left at that point. But right. 
if I'm doing like a weekend golf trip with the boys, uh-huh, and it's then just, maybe I maybe I fly. Maybe we'll I fly go, by myself. We'll go to whichever uh, whichever flight. We'll just book whichever one has a you know has an open seat for us yeah and then we'll just just go to the nicest golf club golf course there and you gotta think once you get to that once you pass that 599 point uh then every flight is for free so you might as well fly whenever you want but you know it'll make it really difficult though booking the day before flying back oh yeah (laughs) you don't know you gotta get back Man, this is bad. tough. Disinformation, mispronunciations, bad impressions. That's Hudson. This is the riot on Radio U. Watch has put out their list of the 10 worst toys for the holiday season. Watch stands for World's World Against Toys Causing Harm. They don't want you uh, or someone you know and care about to get injured by a toy this Christmas. And so they're warning you, maybe don't get these. And Isaiah, I know you're a toy expert. Your parents have toy stores. True. So they probably sell some of these. You might want to tell, warn them, take them off the shelves. I uh, guess we'll see here because or, I'm already I'm already kind of discounting this list as is. You here. don't like it? I don't like it. All right, let's Because my favorite toy of the holiday season for your child is on here. And you know what? I don't think it's dangerous. Which uh which one was we that? We talked like about it share? before on the show. Is it the Nerf Pro Gel Fire? Yes, it Mythic is. Mythic Blasters. It's a beastly thing. I would get it for myself. Yeah, but you know the problem? What is it? There's potential for eye and facial injuries. Oh, I'm sure there is. All right. Well, no face shots. That's always been the rule for any Nerf gun. It's not that dangerous if you also get, like, a mask to go with it. Yes. They should sell them together. They should. Uh, They don't. But get your if you want to protect your kid, get them a mask. Some eyewear. This is a great gift. For all ages. For all ages. Yeah. Yet again, you can get this for me, and I will use it. Maybe we will. Maybe I'll bring it in here. Uh, also on the list, the Disney's Raya Action and Adventure Sword. They it's say Raya. They Raya. I think so. Uh, they say that's potential for blunt force and eye injuries. Any sword. Any sword. Does it's going to have that potential. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, actually, really anything. You could hit somebody with like, uh, you know, those little phones that you pull, like, you know, that for little, little kids. Oh, yeah. The, I mean, you hit somebody with that, it's going to cause a blunt force injury, if too. You, if you bring anything near your eye, uh-huh. just about anything can hurt your eye. That's it, you got to keep things away from your eyes. For, yeah, exactly right. Uh, how about this? Lil Woodsy's Tickle Your Taste Buds Bakery. I love Lil Woodsy's. Lil Woodsy's. One of my favorite rappers. <laughs> Potential for choking injuries on that. Uh, the Black Panther Wakanda Battle Claws. Potential for eye and facial injuries. Uh, the Zeus Lion. Potential for ingestion aspiration injuries. What do you aspire yeah, that's what, what is I was that thinking. supposed to mean? I'm not sure what that is. <laughs> I, I can't remember that. Uh, how about the Dingray musical bath toy? Potential. Potential. For inj- okay, anything that's small 
has potential for ingestion and choking injuries. Yeah, I don't know about this list. Me either. The uh, Ooze Labs, this is something that we've carried to the toy store for many a years. Is it popular? It is a popular the toy. The Ooze Labs Chemistry Station. Mm-hmm. Uh, potential for, believe it or not, with a chemistry set, chemical-related chemical injuries. Uh, so this is what you got to watch out for. I don't know. Does this make you? Does this make these things more popular? You're a toy expert. Your parents have toy stores. It just giving them does a little it drive bit. Drive them up in popularity. I don't know if it drives them up, but I don't think it's going to drive them down either. You don't think so? I don't think so. I mean, anything that you're going to buy a child who may or may not be responsible, it has the potential to quite literally injure them. But you got to keep an eye on them. Just watch your kids. You know what? You know what can't injure a child? Let's hear it. Physically, video games. Video games. Yeah. You I get guess so. Minecraft and Fortnite and uh, Roblox. It won't Safety. hurt them physically. Those are safe. Only mentally. Only, yeah. Uh, Radio U Christmas Channel up today. Check it out at RadioU.com. Hey, they're already eating anyways. Might as well do it on the show. The Riot with Nikki and Hudson, Radio U. Uh, okay, so we touched on this earlier. The World Cup starts on Sunday, and I think it's important for you and I, Isaiah, to have something on the line when it comes oh, to the I World Cup. Oh, I love having something on the line. Because a good I, wager. We happen to have uh, the United States and Canada both in the World Cup, which is rare, right? It doesn't happen. Because Canada doesn't, I don't know when the last time Canada made it was, and the United States even doesn't make it every, We're not all that every great. time around. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so it's a it's a special occasion, and I believe in Canada. I believe that we will win. So I think we should have a, a little a little bet. So do you have anything in mind? I have some things in mind. Uh, here is my first thought. Okay, loser. Shaves their beard clean off. Whoa! Now that yeah. is crazy. Or, or, or how about this? Loser, uh, the winner gets to decide their facial hairstyle. Jeez, that is insane. No Hitler mustaches. Though that's off the that's table. That's on the table. Obviously. Yes. But I could make you have a mustache. I could make you have a soul patch. A soul patch. Yeah can make you have oh my uh, mutton chops. See, I don't believe in the USA team like this. This you don't. So you're not willing to uh, to risk that much, I guess. I don't know. I don't know how quickly my beard will grow back. For me, I see people a lot. Oh. I would hate for them to see me and me not look good. <laughs> okay, so. Yeah, but you got to put something on the line. See, it has, I, it has to hurt a little bit. I had a different idea. Okay, said, okay so you want to hear what my idea Yeah, was. go ahead. I thought it'd be different for each of us. So okay, I thought sure, fair. for you, if Canada goes farther than the USA, uh-huh. then you just get your next whatever Canadian holiday you want off. Your next one. 
Or can you offer that? What do you, are you going to pay me? I can offer whatever I want to offer. Are you going to pay me? I can offer whatever I want to offer. <laughs> I mean, it might not be confirmed, Plus, but there's only, I'll throw it out like, there. Most of the Canadian and United States holidays are the same. Yeah, but there's a couple. There's got to be at least one. It would not come up till like next October. <laughs> well, you know what? You can sit on it. All right, we're not going to do it's that gonna one. feel good. And what would you get if the United States went further in that? Oh, you don't get that. to talk about Canada for a year. Okay, we're not doing that. Oh, what? That's we're a good one. We're not doing that. That's a good one. All right. Any other ideas? That's so far, that's what I came up with. All no right, more so talking about sounds Canada. like facial hair then. We have not decided facial hair. There are many other ideas we could do. Uh, we, we talked about the other day. You could uh, you you already have an affinity for it for painting your fingernails. That could be your thing. You want me to paint my fingernails American colors? Oh, yeah. What if I got stick-on nails? That's that just count? like, nope, Doesn't it does not count. count. You have to actually paint them. Okay. Uh, what well, would you paint your nails? Canada colors? Red and white. Would you I do would that? Do yeah. For I how think long? So. How long would you leave them like that? How would like a, what about like a week? A week? Of, I don't think nail polish lasts that long. As long as it lasts, <laughs> you keep it on. Now, obviously, we're talking like a Monday through through Friday deal. Okay. I mean, on the weekends, there's no way. That you could keep that stuff painted. You would, yeah, you wouldn't want to go out about town. No, I wouldn't want to be seen have on to Saturday. Explain that. There's, yeah, if I'm running, if I meet someone, uh-huh. I mean, you're already running the risk that you might run into somebody on a Wednesday night. Yeah. Maybe if you go to the wrong place uh-huh. and then they see you with your fingernails painted, and they're like, hmm, what do you think about that? Yeah. So those are, I, I think those are both good that- options. If there's any other better you think ones, that's we'd a better level. option than facial hair. The facial hair is just because the fingernail polish is like you have it for a week. Uh-huh. It's embarrassing, but at the end of the week, my fingers are still the same. At the end of the week, my face is still like a baby's bottom. Yeah, but it won't take that long for your facial hair to grow back. Yeah, but there's a difference. You know the difference between like when your facial hair has grown back over the course of a month. And then there's like when you're like four months in and your face hair is really like feeling good. There's a difference. I guess there may be a little bit. All right. Well, we'll take some ideas if anybody else has a suggestion of something Isaiah and I can have on the line uh, for the World Cup between the United States and Canada. Uh, 8772 Radio U. Text that in. The words too expensive aren't in Nikki's vocabulary. This is the Riot Radio U. Uh, so we're talking about the World Cup. Uh, we're trying to iron out Isaiah and I. Isaiah, obviously, uh, born in the USA. United States. USA. I USA. live in the United States, but born in Canada. I still hold some allegiance to Canada. And both of our countries have made it in to the World Cup. So we're trying to decide uh, on a bet that we can have. Whichever one gets eliminated first, uh, one of us has to get punished is kind of what it sounds like. So uh, we've got some texts in here. Yeah, I'm looking at Some people uh-huh. that have texted in some ideas. Okay. Um, and so we'll start off at the top here. Uh, Jeremy said he likes the uh, facial hairstyles one. Yeah. Vote for you. All right. We add. Give the people what they want. Arrow text in. He's thinking a, a good old jersey swap. 
Okay. Browns Packers, of course. Oh, Browns Packers. I mean, we could also stick you in a Buckeyes would jersey. It, Nothing would make me happier than it, that. Oh, see, yeah, that's probably what you would have to do. That's what I think the Buckeyes. That would hurt me much more. I know the Buckeyes jersey would put you, put you in some pain. Aaron thinks the thinks the same. Also, the jersey swap for a week stick you. A I don't know if I'd week. want you. I don't know if I'd want you in one of my brown jerseys <laughs> yeah. for an entire week. That's fair. I uh what if we did Do you have a USA jersey? I do have a USA jersey. That we would do. it wouldn't necessarily hurt me to wear a United States jersey, but I would hope not. To have to wear you it for a whole here. week would be kind of goofy. Yeah, if I was wearing a Canada thing the whole week, I'd feel goofy. Now, what about yeah. this? I think okay. I have a Canada hockey jersey. I could do I that. have two other other <laughs> thoughts, right? Mm-hmm. I think uh, we also could do one where we get to per- the person's profile picture for like a month. A pick the profile picture. Yeah, like a, your Twitter profile picture. Uh-huh. I could take a picture. But Twitter of you. might not even be around. Yeah, I know. By the time the World Cup, by the time the World Cup rolls around, it might have burned to the ground. Yeah. But yeah, we could do a profile picture swap. People do that, or we could even go bigger. Uh We could do like like a Waffle House style. Oh, now I'm talking 24 hours. Now that's pretty extreme. Stick you in a Waffle House and watch you and watch you flounce. Would you rather get punished by being in a Waffle House for 24 hours or by me picking your facial hair? I would rather be stick me in a Waffle House. Well, you it sounds like you want Waffle House. No, I like That's Waffle what I'm House. Starting to think. But I'm telling you that the beer is 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 pretty it's locked sacred, into my face, isn't it? It's pretty locked onto my face. I'm yeah. not I a couple like a month ago I was ready for a change-up, a switch-up, a switcheroo. Uh-huh. Right now, I'm feeling pretty comfortable. And it's because it's cold out now. It is. You don't want to have to It's chilly. If I got well, a bare face walking around, I'm going to be so cold. Okay. Uh, just assume with me that we do decide on the facial hair thing. Mm-hmm. What facial hair style would you pick for me? For you? Yeah. I would definitely pick a, a uh, what's it called, a Fu Manchu. You would? That's what for is, sure. What is that where it's like uh It's just a straight, straight down. But isn't that where you have to like grow it out long or? No, 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 no. Because mine doesn't do that. No, you just got to do, it's just mustache connectors. Just straight down. Okay. Kind of like the biker look, you know? Oh, I, I think used be to have that. I used to have did that. Did you? Yeah, I for did. For fun or? Yeah, you, I chose you to good? do it. I, I tried it, yeah. You tried it. Uh, How'd that well, work out? I don't, well, I mean, uh, you could look up pictures. They exist. Up. I don't know. I, I, I wouldn't be. If that's what you chose for me, that wouldn't even hurt me very much. Because I think I I've would rather. See, I would rather pick something for you uh, than when people see you, they think you're serious. Like, if you gave me a really dumb one, yeah. people would think, like, oh, that's just to be stupid. I think that they would think so that that's I how gave you, you, you think you look good. If I chose chin strap for you. Yeah. You would hate that. I would hate it because people would think that that's real. And that's the worst part. If you, that the worst like, but part But if I be, chose mutton chops for you, that obviously that's a joke. It's a joke. But chin And so strap. people know that it's a joke and they're like, oh, that's funny. But if you give me like close to a real one, the people think that that's how I think I should look good. Then that's, that's when it gets bad. Grace texted and she says she thinks the... 
the winner gets to pick the loser's next pet. I stick you with like a gecko. Yeah, that's pretty extreme though. Or maybe a turtle. You have to take care of a fish. Dang, turtles live a long time. Yeah, they do. And I wouldn't want it to die. That I would be because then you have to bring it up on air. Yeah, we're like, how's the turtle doing? Uh You're like, "Mm." (laughs) I don't know. I don't know about the the pet thing. Yeah, pet uh, seems like a big commitment. You want to go circle back to the nails? I've, I've feels... I don't. I don't mind the nails. I would love to. I I would love for you to do the waffle house challenge just because I want to know how you do. Oh, I think that would be funny. Great content too. Yeah, but I'm um, down for whatever. I think we'll keep taking text suggestions. Eight seven seven two radio. You. We'll, we'll put this to bed for talking about it for now. Mm-hmm. But you can keep texting them in. Uh, a wager for Isaiah and I, USA, Canada, who goes farther in the World Cup, uh, and uh, we'll, we'll we'll land. We will do something. There will be something done, uh, and we will announce it uh, maybe Tuesday or something. Yeah, I don't know when it. We'll figure it out. We'll figure it we'll out. Get it. While Isaiah is wishing for a girlfriend, Nikki and Hudson are just wishing for any friend at all. Radio U. We are doing a food fight. We're feeling Thanksgiving-y this morning. Oh, I'm excited. Uh, Krispy Kreme has a line of Thanksgiving mini pie donuts. Uh, Now, they have supposedly, according to their website, they have four flavors of mini pie donut uh, that you could acquire and taste for yourself. However, uh, and that's through Thanksgiving, through uh, November 24th. However, we sent our boss, Michael, to go uh, pick these up for us, and he returned with three. They, he said, they are very confused, as they always are. They all, the our Krispy Kreme, the one that is near the studios, doesn't seem to always be, uh, you know, up to par. See, for me, he said he went through the drive-through, mm. which I used to do that, and now I have to go inside. Yeah, I have to see him. I have you to see you face given. to face. And I have to be able to tell you exactly what's going on and what exactly I need. And I need to see you put it in there because if I go through the drive-thru, it's a shot in the dark yeah. whether I'm getting the donuts or not. He said he ordered at the speaker, and when he got to the window, they had no idea who he that was. That he had even ordered. Yeah. Yep, exactly. Not so, a surprise. We did get, though, at the end of the day, we've got three out of the four uh, mini pie donuts. So I'm going to assume that they're probably just out of the fourth one, Probably. which is unfortunately the one I might have been looking forward to most, and that is the mini pecan pie donut. Man. So we're going to be riding without that one. But what we do have is the mini pumpkin pie donut, Ooh. the mini lemon cream pie donut, and the mini Dutch apple pie donut. Which I'm one excited. Would, which one would you like to try first? Let's do the lemon one first. The lemon. And now are you the saying I'm that? Least excited yeah, for. I agree. It's uh, not a favorite pie of mine. The lemon meringue. It's got a little. You see a little cream. filling in there. Where's my camera? Uh, there a she is. Very, a very scant amount of filling. Doesn't smell super lemony. I don't know if I want to eat the whole. I mean, they're tiny. Mm. Um. I got all of the lemon. 
cream in one bite. I did the whole thing. You did the whole thing? Yeah, I went in Rome, right? That filling is pretty good. Like, that is. It's okay. A pretty good filling for lemon. I, I liked a tough, it. Tough time with lemon stuff like this. Because at the end That's of the day. That's supposed to be lemon meringue pie, right? Lemon cream. Lemon cream. At the end of the day, to me, it winds up just kind of tasting like a cleaning supply. Oh, yeah. And I don't know that that's the, what I, the image I want in my mind when I'm chowing down on a donut. If you like lemon, uh-huh. you'll love that. Yeah, I think that's okay. I mean, they captured the lemon, okay? Yeah. Uh, okay, what do you want to do next? What do we have here? Pumpkin pie. We got and... pumpkin pie and Dutch apple pie. Which one's which? Um... The pumpkin pie is the one that has the, like, orangish icing. Mm. Let's do pumpkin pie. Okay. Because it looks more similar to the lemon meringue. It has, it has oranges, icing, and then it has, like, a little section, a little a quadrant little bit. of a what, what I believe to be graham cracker crust crumbs. And this filling here, you can see inside, very minimal part of the donut. I need to cleanse my palate with some water there. Okay. Mmm. Wow. Mmm. I definitely like this That is good. Wow. That's kind of tasty. Yeah. That's real tasty. I wish it had a little more filling in it. Me too. I wish that more of that crumble on top. That crumble's good. Yeah. But that's a pretty good flavor, though. Oh, yeah. It doesn't taste exactly like pumpkin pie. It's, it's not like you're eating pumpkin pie as much as the lemon one is. Like you're eating lemon pie. But it's so good, though. It is. I get that, that was a good donut. I get that pretty good marks. Uh, and then we've also got the mini Dutch apple pie donut, which we'll do that. And this one seems like a mess. It's fallen apart. Um, it does have more filling, it seems to me. What? So, what? What are you talking about filling? Look at mine. You got like nothing. There's no filling in mine. Well, it obviously didn't cut this one it's very okay. well. Not a big deal. Yeah, it's not like you need the filling. Yeah, I don't it's not that. a vital part of this this snack. Mmm, that's in your face apple. It is. Mmm. Pretty first, good. I didn't think I liked it, and now I do think I might like it. Um, mm. I think I like that one the best. That was good. All right. And the pecan pie gets an incomplete because we didn't get to taste that. Okay. You rating on each of the three donuts. Yep. Lemon cream pie. What are you giving it? I'm giving that like a... For my taste buds, that's like a 3.1. 3.1. I think it's like a, a 2.5 for me. Oh, that's low. It's okay. I would never order that. I would never order it either. Yeah. I would never order it. It tasted okay. I don't. 
I didn't really enjoy it. Yeah, I didn't think it was. I didn't think it tasted bad. Like no, if you yeah. gave me the donut, I would it eat was the actually, whole thing. It was better than I expected. Yeah, uh, I think so too. Okay, mini pumpkin pie donut. Pumpkin pie donut was fire. That was so good. I'm giving that like a four point, four point three, four point four. That range. I think real th- good. Three seven five for me. Not that good for you, I see. I liked it. I don't think I would order it, probably. Okay, got it. Uh, I would order that donut. That was a good donut. Now, the mini Dutch apple pie donut. For me, that's like a 3.7. I give it a 4.25. Okay, so you like that one better. That That was my favorite. That one for me, not. I didn't like that one Maybe it's because you didn't get any filling. It could have been the filling. Yeah, because over here... We had a whole, we had gobs of filling. Yeah. I think, I think I, yeah, the pumpkin pie one for me, that was, that was really good. And Hudson liked the, the apple pie. Well, uh, yeah, you might want to swing out and go check out the mini pie donuts from Krispy Kreme. Now you know which ones to try. They're real little. They're tiny little things. Uh-huh. Probably still packed with calories, though. Oh, yeah, for sure. Find more Riot content online. Riot.radiou.com Today's a special day. November 18th. November uh-huh. 18th. I'm not sure. It's Mickey Mouse's birthday. Today is. Today is Mickey Mouse's birthday. Exciting. And if I, uh, this website can be believed. It also is Minnie Mouse's birthday. Oh, they have the same birthday? What are the odds of that? Interesting. 365 to 1, say? I would say so. Yeah. Unlikely. Very unlikely. But. It's true love. Nevertheless, they seem to share. They do have that in common. Uh, So, in honor of Mickey and Minnie Mouse's birthday, it seems that Disney is getting them uh, the gift that everybody wants. And that's more money. Really? Yeah. They're paying them? Well, you know how they're doing it? How? They are increasing prices at Disney World. I feel like they're always increasing prices at Disney World. You feel correctly. This is the second time in a year, in the past year, that they are up in the up in the prices at Disney World. Second time this year? Uh-huh. That's in 2022. Crazy. Uh, I feel like you only get to go up once a year. You can't be doing that twice a I year. I know. that It does feel egregious. Uh, but here's the good news. If you do want to go to Disney World, you can still buy tickets at the current rate, the discounted rate, the more expensive rate compared to earlier this year, but less expensive than it will be in a few days. You can still buy tickets at the current price until December 8th. But... Starting December 8th, the prices go up. Uh, we're talking Animal Kingdom admission. Uh, right now, it is 109 to 159 Okay, no, no, wait. That's not the how much it's going up. That's what it currently is. That's, that, that's the current that's, day. Uh, 109 No, that's what it's going to be on December 8th. Yes. 109 to 159 which actually... Animal Kingdom not going up. Okay. That makes sense because nobody wants to go there. That's why it's uh, the cheapest one. 124 to 179. That's what you're going to have to pay to get into Hollywood Studios. Some people call it Hollywood Studios. I call it MGM. Some people call it Hollywood Studios. 124 to 179. Uh, Epcot. 
114 to 179. Okay. Okay. And Magic Kingdom is 124 to 189. That's what you're going to be paying just to get into one one park for one day. Really, really expensive. For one person. Really expensive. Um, overall, Disney World, a little overrated. You think so? Mm-hmm. How long has it been since you've been? I think about 13 years. 13 years, maybe. Unless it, they've switched things up, they might have changed better. it up a little. A lot has changed in 13 years. I can imagine. Do you when even I remember went, it if it was 13 years ago? Remember. You I were remember. too short to go on all the rides 13 I years ago. I was riding rides, but I know good rides, and they're just all right. They, it's not about the rides, though. What's it about? Uh, the experience. The memories. It's about getting to, uh, you know, shake Mickey Mouse's hand, kick Scrooge McDuck in the knee. That's what it's about. Yeah, for me, it's I just a, don't have a, a big love. It's for about it having anymore. breakfast with Belle and the Little Mermaid. That's yeah. what it's about. It's not about the rides. Yeah, it just seems a little expensive. They're gonna keep on raising it up the prices like this. You're losing me. More than you already were. But you know what? They've cornered the market because you can't have breakfast with Bell anywhere else. You can't. That's why they can just keep driving it up. Uh, and it, and so uh, Mickey Mouse getting a little birthday present. Happy birthday, Mickey. We all are getting something for you. It's our money. That's enough of that. For more Riot content, head to riot.radiou.com.